Hi, this is Michael Debar, and you're listening to Vicki Abelson's The Road Taken. Hi, I'm Vicki Abelson. I wrote a book called Don't Jump. Andy Stone is my heroine, and she was addicted to everything pretty much except heroin. Oh my God, oh yes! She just totally captures the excitement of, of rock stars. And famous athletes and famous comedians. Sort of an insider's view from the outside. The warmth and wit of Vicky's writing knocked me out. In, in a good way, not, not like Cosby. Too soon? Vicky wrote a book? Vicki Abelson's long-awaited new book, Don't Jump, is finally here. Don't miss it. Available on Amazon. Quick Impressions is a full-service commercial printer with pricing that competes with online wholesalers. The difference is their customer service. From business cards, envelopes, brochures, to mailers, presentation folders, DVD and CD packaging, cartons, signs, to calendars, and I've used them for just about all of those things myself, including the galleys and bookmarks and signature plates for my own book, and custom-designed tissue boxes and notepads and labels for women who write. They've done it all. Um, and I ain't easy to please, as you well know, DJ. And they always blow me away. The quality of their work is stellar, and they're the nicest people ever. That's Quick Impressions. Hold the C. Quick. Q-U-I-K. Ask for Rick, but that does have a C. And then tell them that Vicky sent you, which also has a C. And they will love you up. You can find them at quickimpressions.com for all your printing needs. Welcome to Vicki Abelson's broadcast, The Road Taken, Celebrity Maps to Success. Vicki's the creator and host of the renowned celebrity-driven literary salon, Women Who Write, and the author of Amazon bestseller, Don't Jump. Here's Vicki. Hey, Wheezy. Hey, Vicki. How are you? Excellent. How are you? You know, I'm actually really good today. Glad and to hear this. Yeah. And it's strange that I'm good because I actually got needles put into my spine a few hours ago on purpose on purpose because um i was in a car accident a year ago and um my back got screwed up and so i didn't want to get those steroid injections that you've heard tell of and that i got last car accident ago that really didn't <laughs> didn't help how many car accidents ago did you sadly have I've, I've been rear-ended many times oh, and, but in my car so not as fun oh and um but anyway so so uh i had steroids in the past but Stories carry a lot of side effects and all kinds of shit, and I didn't want to risk that. So instead, they have this new thing called P, pretty new PRP, where they take your own blood out of your arm, thus the uh, bandaid here, the bandage, okay. and then they uh, they put it through something, and then they shoot your own red blood cells back into you, you in the in the area, and it makes your your body think that it has to go fight there. It has to go do something there. Okay. So it, the healing commences. And so it's a four to six week period to find out if it's going to work. So I've done it twice already. This is my third, kind of the last time I can really do this. And so I'm hoping this is the end of the journey. But yes, I had nice big needles put into my back, my spine, um, which so I feel kind of weird. And so I'm a little off and I dropped my computer on my toe. Wait, do you see my foot? I, I didn't think it was, I mean, I knew it hurt like hell, but you know how things don't look bad at the beginning well it's really looking really not very good right now but anyway so I'm, I'm sitting here kind of bruised and battered and I but I'm in a good place you know why I'm in a good place Louise why I'm in a good place because I did something today I took a contrary action that I'm feeling really good about a contrary action a contrary action because I 
my default, I'm a Scorpio. I am an addict by nature. I have a lot of things, a lot of baggage back there that I've worked very hard to unpack and to put away um, over the years. But 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 my default is to be an envious person, a jealous person, you know, all that stuff. And um, so I found out last night that somebody I adore very close to me, someone that I, I speak to almost every day, very, very important person to me. We're very supportive of each other and loving. Um, she got this offer to, to do this creative writing thing uh, that she's dreamt of for years. And, you know, the kind of thing that I would covet like crazy, you know, I would love to have myself really exciting kind of opportunity. And she turned it down because of practical things. She's a mom and she's got responsibilities and it's a startup and it's a little scary. And, but it's somebody that has a really good track record. And, um, as I was reading it at the beginning, the tinges of jealousy and envy started to come up and in, I took a contrary action and I, was nothing but excited for her, as I am. But then um, today, I really encouraged her to go back in there and try and make it work for herself. And I, you know, I did everything I could to encourage her to pursue it. And that is not something that is my default. That was a contrary action. But I know when I'm doing a contrary action, and I do the right contrary action, um, the feeling that happens inside for making a good and right and correct and healthy choice um, creates this almost euphoria and um, this peace within me. And for a few moments or however long I allow it to last, I feel worthy. And that's kind of been the topic of my life for the last few weeks is uh, my life coach, Jeremy Stevens, is doing everything he can to encourage me to appreciate my worthiness. Do you feel worthy, Louise? I do, but I, um, I, I know what you're speaking of, and it felt like you were putting your own blood into your spine. Wow. Explain. Well, it's not... It's not the action that is your instinctive action, mm -hmm. uh, but it's self-healing, and it's wow, it's selfless. It's it's self-healing to be selfless, but it doesn't feel right. It feels like when you feel threatened, mm -hmm. you know, your instinct is to I, either run or scream or make a fuss so that you're the one that's noticed. Mm -hmm. But then. But when you're able to be happy and excited for everyone else, even if you're kind of like forcing it, mm -hmm. once you experience that that calm, mm -hmm. maybe it won't be a contrary action the next time. Well, you know, well, I, I don't know that it'll be the next time because I, I've been in recovery for a long time, for many, many years, and I still struggle with... I think my instinct will, always, will probably, maybe always be the same, but my response reaction is quicker all the time. I, I make the right choice quicker. I suffer less. I don't stay in the envy, jealousy place. Like in the old days, I would be like obsessing about, why can't I get a job like that? Why isn't it me? Blah, blah, blah. But you understand the concept of abundance, right? I And that's the other, th and that's exactly, yes. Go okay. ahead, you, you, you Just say Just that it. there's so much room for excellence 
the universe is abundant. Right. There is no shortage. There's enough. There's enough for everyone. I mean, the whole concept of there. Well, there are people starving and this, all this, but there's enough food on the planet. We just don't share it. Right. Just. The, but that instinct that if she has it, that means I don't. That's false. And exactly, that is a total false reality. The reality is that the more I am supportive and loving and helpful to someone else, the more good karma energy manifestation is going to happen for me. And that's not why I'm not doing it. So someone, something will come back to me, but that's what ends up happening. And, and just the good feeling that I got, I was in kind of a, a weird mood because something else happened in my life that wasn't very positive. Somebody kind of really hurt my feelings and, um, or I allowed them to hurt my feelings. And I was in a kind of crappy mood about it. And this whole experience, um, first of all, I love that analogy with, with my back, with the self-healing thing. I really love that. And I don't think there are accidents. Um, but also, it made me feel worthy. Um, it made me feel, I, I st I'm, st I'm getting a sense of where Jeremy is trying to get me to go. And that is instead of what the energy I've been putting out into the universe on a daily, hourly, minute to minute basis is I'm too fat. I'm getting old. I, you know, I can go down the list of all the, I'm not making enough money. You know, all the things that are, are lacking in my life, lack, 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 wrong, 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 wrong. And so by saying them out loud to people, making jokes about them, thinking about it, I am manifesting more of that to me because that's the reality I have created for myself. So by thinking of myself instead uh, as being worthy and focusing on the things about myself that are worthy, hey, you know, I am a supportive, loving, encouraging friend. Um, to say that to myself, well, that manifests back in, I, then, then I am more that person. So that, yes, the next time it does come more easily, maybe instantly. Um, it, it's just, it's, it's, uh, it's very interesting to me. And so let's take that to the next step. So I'm, I'm currently writing a screenplay. I have a, a writing partner. We're writing a screenplay. And we're trying to decide. We had one ending. I had written a treatment for it by myself first, a seven-page treatment or whatever. And, um, you know, romantic comedy, happy ending. That's just what has to be, right? You know, La La Land, uh, peop some people would argue that's not a romantic comedy. It's of a different genre. It's a musical. Um but I think of it as a romantic comedy. And to me, they kind of gave us both choices because they showed us what the happy ending would look like. They took it away at the end, but they, sh they gave us the satisfaction of us seeing them together through time and love and all of that. And yet, at the end, we walk out, oh, they didn't end up together, but, but we're okay. We, we walk out a little sad, but we're okay. Um, but I, this is my, my screenplay is not a musical, you know, and, and I felt like I wanted to deflect people from knowing that they were going to end up together. And I've been wrapping, racking my brain to try and make it so that people will not, you know, um, be sure they, they will be off center. Keep they won't know, guessing. keep them guessing. And, and I figured ultimately Hollywood would insist that the happy ending be, be there. And I've just begun because of real life circumstances that it's based on to realize that I don't write that way. My book don't jump. Um, 
is basically my true, you know, my fictionalized true story. Uh, um, um, I think I called it. It's um, my fictionalized memoir. I swear to some of it, <laughs> and um, and what this screenplay really is, I realized today, is it's really don't jump too because it's really Andy grown up as Veronica, ah. and it's because it's all me, right? I write me, you write what you know. I write mm-hmm. me, so um, so I realized that the way I write, I end on hope, but not necessarily with a happy ending. Things always are kind of. Because my life's not over yet, and I haven't achieved everything I'm 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 trying to accomplish. Yeah. So there's going to be accomplishment stuff, but there's still pain. There's still discomfort. There's still shit that's not worked out, and um, that seems to me like a much more realistic uh, 2017 kind of place to be. So how old were you when you watched the way we were for the first time? Oh my God, a kid, a teenager. I so guess. that was my first awareness that wow. There may it may be that something else is supposed to happen mm. because this wasn't supposed to yeah. for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. But and you get at first you're stung by it and then you get kind of comforted by it that you know what everybody's going to be okay. All right, and that's very true. The difference is that's not a comedy, right? So it's a drama, Ugh, and in drama a we have drama. A, yes, and we have a different expectation. In drama, in roman- romantic drama. I mean, I can, I can name it countless romantic dramas where they do not end up together. Really? That happens a lot. Yeah, it happens a lot. this one still punched me in the throat. It that did. That was my wake-up movie. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, it, it did. And, you know, uh, I think it's just really fascinating to consider that can we be happy if we don't end up with the guy? And you know if what? If he we, wasn't meant to be. Well, it's you know what? Jeremy is trying to, to, to steer me away from that thinking, too. Because I always say, well, if something meant to be, nothing I do is going to stop it. And if it's not, nothing I do is going to make it happen. He said, you know what? I agree with you fundamentally, but I don't think that's serving you. He said, what I'd rather have you think, it, because then it's kind of permission to fail. Well, if something doesn't happen, oh, it wasn't meant to be. But he wants me to approach things with, I want something and I'm going to go get it. Mm-hmm. And because I'm me and because I'm worthy, I am going to get it. I, it should be mine. It, it will be mine. I can make it mine. I just have to believe that and feel worthy to... to yes, but most things are not Robert Redford. And so you have to be <laughs> a little realistic. Most things are not Robert Redford. <laughs> but actually that Republican we discussed a while back does look a little bit like Robert Redford. No. Um, oh, he, I need yeah. an update. <laughs> yeah, well... Um, yeah, he he listened to the show and he really liked um the way um he was discussed and <laughs> he said that he tripped when he when I when we got to the part where I said, "Well, I can't take him anywhere." Ah. And he said he tripped laughing so hard. But um but anyway, yeah. Um shout out to Hubble. <laughs> <laughs> um uh yeah, he looks like yeah, kind of a, a little version of him. But anyway, um, so I, I, what I what I what I think I'm getting to is, life is not a happy ending, and even something can be funny and it can be a romantic comedy and it can end on an uplifting note, without it being the girl ends up with the guy and that the guy is the thing that makes her happy. Maybe there's something else that makes her happy. There's lots of right answers. There, there's no wrong answer. It's ju- and r- you're right. There there are a lot of right answers. There's a lot of ways it could go. Well, anyway, I think I've come up with with 
an ending that I feel really, really good about that Ooh. I will not share on the air. Oh, okay. But um, because then I ruin the movie for everybody, right? Because um, it's going to come out and it's 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 going to get made. This is a this is an absolute absolute certainty I have and I don't know that I've ever spoken that way about anything I've done before but I really feel strongly about this but anyway it's going to have an alternate it's going to have it's going to have a uh, I think I don't know you know who knows by the time it gets made you know Hollywood could insist that it have the traditional happy ending so you never know what's going to happen um, but I speaking of happy endings hmm. that makes me think of our guest tonight Ooh. you know um, <laughs> when Michael Jabars all right now I'm going to have to ask Michael when he gets here, but because um, we're we're introducing him in his absence, we always like to talk about people behind their back before they get here. That's the best way, I think so. And so, um, I I believe that he calls himself Michael. How, how did I say it before? You said, oh, I said Michael Debar, and you said right. no, it's Michael Debar. Yeah, I, I and then th you pronounce the S at the end. Uh, right. I don't know if it's Michael. Debar or Michael Debars or Michael Debar. I, I'm not really sure the exact way to say it. And I know when I listen to him on Sirius, Michael is um, a DJ on Underground Garage, Little Stevens Underground Garage, which is my favorite radio station. And um, anyway, when he introduces himself, I oh every time he does, I note oh that's not the way I, I say his name wrong. But I'm not sure what's right and what's wrong. So we'll have to ask him. But anyway, he's a happy ending because. <laughs> Michael came and did Women Who Write um, a few years ago. And, you know, rock stars, I, I've dealt with quite a few. I was a rock and roll promoter for years. Louise, you've dealt with your share, certainly the Cowsills. Um, I don't know why I call them rock stars, but they're pop stars. They're rock stars. They are. Well, they're pop <laughs> stars for sure. Yeah. And, um, you know, people, uh, especially when they've made it really big and they've lived that really high life where they get the rider and they get to say no green M&Ms and all that kind of stuff, you know, they can kind of be assholes. And um, they don't, oh, they, I mean, I know some, most are incredibly lovely and remain that way. But there are a few that kind of, you know, throw Don't pick up after themselves. Yeah. Whenever Don Henley is over, it's like <laughs> such a mess after. <laughs> I was just reading Don Henley's going to have a show on, on Sirius uh, on the Beatles channel. Ah. And uh, they did a commercial for it today where he said that um, he sang to his wife uh, a Beatles song uh, at their wedding, and I believe it was something. Um, but anyway, speaking of John Henley, because everything is, is cyclical, full circle. Um, but anyway, so Michael, when, when I was booking him for Women Who Write a few years ago, he just could not have been more professional, more gracious, more lovely, m less rock star-ish. <gasps> he's knocking on the door. Oh, Michael Debar is over. I think what it is is he says Debar. He says Michael Debar. Mm -hmm. is, 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 I, I, I said it like six different ways, but I, I think that's the way. It's like a bar that's open during <laughs> the day the day i love it that that's how i'm gonna remember it <laughs> i love it so anyway so when he came to women who write a few years ago he sits before he came he said something about um have the women bring an extra pair of panties or something oh my he, he's so adorable and so then he came and he has like all this frenetic energy and he was like running around my kitchen play like i was introducing him and he was like playing guitar and walking through my house and making me crazy and um he just has this incredible energy that i just adore so you know, I used to be a rock promoter in New York. We were just talking about that. And my path with Michael never crossed because he was out in L.A. And the East Coast, West Coast, it's like the, the rapper thing that happened later. But there was there was oh, a definite, yeah. like, whiskey, a go-go 
thing happening and and the, and all in the troubadour. But then in New York, there was like the bitter end, and you know, like all of and the China Club and all of that was going on. And the two, the musicians met because they would play, they would tour, and they would travel, and they would meet each other, and they would play together. So it turns out that Michael and I know a shit ton of the same people, like seventy five hundred. Mutual Facebook friends, yeah, like it's but 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 yeah. but real life friends, yeah, uh, right. So it's a whole different thing. So we have a lot to talk about tonight, and um, so anyway, so he he he, I didn't know a lot about him other than his music, which we'll get to. Mm-hmm. But I didn't know, I did not know that he was into Sir with Love. Yes, and I right. have a Cow Hill story to share with you about okay. that. Okay, so okay. We'll, we, okay, so we'll get to that. So I, when I started reading his bio, and I, and I remember him from To Sir with Love. Um, okay, what well, I'm going to get to that. Did you know that, he was a, that he's a marquee? He is an actual marquee. Wait, he's royal? He's royal. And the only Oh mar- my God, the- well, Prince Philip, Prince Philip just took a turn. He may be next. <laughs> well, the, the only marquee I know of is the Marquis de Sade. That's not a good marquee. No, no, no. He's- um, not a good marquee. But, and I also didn't know that our own Tracy Newman from Women Who Write cast Michael on Ellen. I really love her. You know, and th- this world, it, this the world is so small. I just love it. And Michael's done a lot with uh, my with Ricky Bird, our good friend Ricky Bird, uh, from from the Blackhearts, and it, it just I, Steve Conti. I mean, there's just so much mutual connection. I just love it. So, Michael has been on the rock scene for for four decades. Craziness, because he's he has the energy of of, of a fifty. He he acts like a twenty two year old, which I love. Um, he was the front man for um, the 70s bands Silverhead and Detective and was personally signed by Jimmy Page. Jimmy Page! Wow. Um, his Swan Song Records in 1975. That's crazy. He was uh, the touring singer for Duran Duran, um, their spinoff, The Power Station, mm-hmm. replacing Robert Palma. Yes. And he was the one who sang at Live Aid. Oh, oh my wow. God. With this iconic band. I mean, iconic band. Just, that's craziness. Um, he was a member of uh, Checkered Past, which included Steve Jones, who I just saw re- met recently and spoke to from the Sex Pistols. Also in that band was Clem Burke and Nigel Harrison of Blondie. Um, Michael uh, penned the song Obsession, and you know that uh, he sang that in the living room. Obsession, you yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my God! I asked him if he'd bring a guitar today and sing that, and he was like, "No guitar." All right. Well, so then I, why is he playing? My I gu- don't know, but maybe maybe we can twist his arm and maybe he'll do a little obsession yeah. for us. I I don't know. Um, and he was also part of the L.A. New Wave group and Emotion. That was the band that did Obsession. Um, and the track has been featured in many movies throughout the years. Uh, it, when he started singing in the house, everybody knew all the words. I we mean, were it's all just, obsessed with it. Yes, we were obsessed. So also an actor. The two, okay, so the Jusser with Love role that he had, he was the tall guy with the sunglasses. And I mean, I can close my, I don't even have to close my eyes. I can remember exactly what he looked like oh yeah in that he movie. was giving sir a hard time yeah <laughs> i remember him mm-hmm. and um he's been in countless television shows such as ncis nip tuck the finder roseanne seinfeld northern exposure with our own rob morrow who we love saying elsewhere with our own ed bagley jr who's going to be on the show next week um uh what else um so uh, that's right and next week we uh well yeah anyway so um he also had a recurring role. His big TV role was on MacGyver. He was a regular on MacGyver. And a lot of people know him from that. He was featured in music videos for Maroon 5, for Rihanna, which goes back to our Chris Johnson, our drummer, who was with us a couple weeks ago. Um, and he co-stars with Robert Carlyle in the film California Solo. Um, also, 
of great interest is that um, Michael is one of the founding members of Rock Against Drugs. Mm-hmm. He's done violent, volunteer addiction counseling and worked with with homeless teens. And this is a subject very close to my heart, as we talked about earlier. Addiction recovery, huge part of my life, huge part of uh, Ricky Bird's. Uh, I think that's how Ricky and, and Michael have come together. We'll talk about that. Michael is also the ex-husband of our own Pamela Debar. And Daybar. Daybar. Thank, oh, God, the Daybar. Thank you. Of Pamela Daybar. Um, and uh, Pamela's been to Women Who Ride a couple of times mm-hmm. and has written about their relationship um, yep. um, with the band. And, and uh, yes, and uh, we're going to have to have Pamela back. She's got a new book out now. But what I love about Michael and Pamela is that they not only still co-lovingly uh, raise their son, who's a grown-up, but, but still lovingly parent their son, Nick, but they lovingly... Um, peacefully coexist i've seen a i haven't been at one of pamela's parties when michael's been there but i've seen lots of pictures of them together and they're just lovely together and that's so goddamn grown up Mm -hmm. but i also want to talk to michael about how they came together because wow that was a crazy time of rock and roll and pamela certainly had a crazy background and he kind of had a crazy background and how they came together will be really fucking interesting and and coming to current events um I listen to Michael every day on the radio on Little Steven's Underground Garage. And what I love about his show, which is on in the mornings, is that um, he gives every... Uh, every Little Steven's Underground Garage is known for not only playing the music, but also telling the stories of the music and giving background on the songs and why they're stringing certain songs together and really being able to put together a playlist of their choice, not because something is a hit song. They do play the coolest song in the world each week, and they do that in rotation. But other than that, they're really, I believe, we'll get the truth from Michael, I believe they're on their own to... to, to have a show with a theme and and follow it and uh, take us through the journey with them. And so there's a lot of creativity that Michael gets to exhibit just in his choices and what he chooses to tell us about those choices. And uh, he's a very creative and talented, brilliant across the board, uh, besides musician and actor. And and, um, he also has a beautiful aesthetic sense. I don't know if you follow him on Facebook, but... um, he he's very aware of beauty of scenic beauty he he'll post just magnificent photos of sunsets of flowers of all kinds of things he sees beauty in life i love that about him he smells really good too he smells he smells really good he's, right now he smells really good because i gave him a hug and i can smell it on my face yeah um so i think we're going to hurry up and just get him in here so wheezy would you help me welcome michael daybar daybar Hi, Michael. Hello, darling. Welcome to uh, The Road Taken. I'm so happy that you're here. Um, Okay, so Michael, this is Louise Palenker over here. And you know Louise Mm. from a couple of things. Firstly, um, not firstly, secondly, you met her at Women Who Write when you came to my living room. But before that, Louise, you want to tell Michael the story? You were emceeing the night that my my film, uh, Family Band, The Cow Story premiered at Don't Knock the Rock, Allison's Festival, and you were the MC. Yes. I, and you uh, emceed the Q&A afterwards. Yes, and I, dis- I discovered that Sue Cavsill, um was a huge To Sew With Love fan. She wasn't. She serenaded you. She serenaded me with the song. It was mm. very touching because the castles were really significant, mm. and I don't think they were treated quite with the respect that they should have been in terms of... They were almost like 
the monkeys on some familial level, you mm -hmm. know, they were very American, mm. essentially very. American. But they sang Hair, they did that song Hair, which I play a lot on my show. You Do know. you? Yeah, much to the chagrin of Stooges fans. Oh. You know, because it's like it would be the bipolar opposite of, <laughs> of uh, you know, the hair. Although I knew those guys. I did a nude musical in London in, in when was it? It would be 71. It Which was, it, what? Was, it was called The Dirtiest Show in Town, Vicky. Wow. It was based on your life. And we... <laughs> No, no, no. I it, saw Hair on Broadway uh, first run, actually. Did you really? I did. Was Beverly D'Angelo in that cast? She's, no, uh, I don't think she was. Uh, she's in she the. She joined in, it very early on, perhaps. Yeah, I don't know if she was in the original, original. No. I, um, I did it in London, and um, if you'll pardon the expression, it was very interesting because, like, if you're naked in 1970 in London, um, it was part of the, the madness of the polka dots and the paisley and the rock and roll and everything was changing so fast. I mean, it started mid-60s. Right. And so now, Oh Calcutta came, the naked, nude right. Oh Calcutta. And then this American production, written by Tom Iron, a brilliant American playwright, did this musical, mm -hmm. and I was cast to play an androgynous rock star. What a, what a shock, what? you know. <laughs> <laughs> and, and we were naked. So for the three weeks of rehearsals, everybody fucked each other. Lovely. It was the 70s. Two, two weeks into the actual play being, you know, up in the theater, everybody hated each other's guts. Oh. Can you imagine that? Oh. In fact, another, another great story about that. We got fined for getting a hard on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> During it was okay to be naked, but oh, yeah. not to have a hard on. How classically, fabulously <laughs> bullshit. You know, how could you, you know, not want to be an anarchist when you're dealing with something like that? I love it. Yeah. This is why clothes are helpful. <laughs> but you, I remember you. Your movie was spectacular. Oh, thank Congratulations. you. Congratulations. Oh. Did, did you get it out there to the people? Yes, it ran on Showtime for two years, and wow. now it's on Amazon Prime. <sighs> Where would we be without? Amazon Prime, oh. which sounds like something out the Transformers, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it yeah. Does. I just heard that Jeff Bezos is the richest man in the world. Yeah, he is. Now. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, he just bought... At Whole Foods, <laughs> I go yeah. shopping at Whole Foods, yes. and I spend like $150 for like broccoli. Yeah, exactly. And this guy pays $30 billion. And, and it's so he can bring it to our home. We're not going to have to go to Whole Foods anymore because Amazon's going to deliver it to our door We're in a matter of hours. We're not going to do anything. We'll just be this big jab of the hut, yeah. you know, people <laughs> watching, you know, Amazon Prime. Yeah, no, what I, it is I, is you can actually shop without checking out. What do you mean? You shop, you mm -hmm. go up and down the aisles, you put things in your basket, and you leave the store like it's an honor bar in a hotel. That's what he's got up his sleeve. Holy shit. Yeah. All right. Well, um, okay. All right. So, Michael. Yeah. So, now that we have everybody understand, yes. everybody has well, met. It's delightful to see you again. Good to see love. you again. Yes. And I was Thank saying, you. Michael, when I was introducing you, that yes. uh, there's six degrees of everything, two degrees of everything, that you were a West Coast rock and roll, London, but West Coast, and, and I was in New York doing rock and roll, but we dealt with many of the same people. So Ricky Bird is a mutual friend of both of ours, and, and, I, and Steve Conti. I, there's a lot of people that I know that, well, I know you played Steve's song when it was the coolest song. Oh, the, I love Steve. Oh, God. I love Me Ricky. Too. Yes, as do I. And so our worlds kind of didn't exactly overlap, but a lot of similarity. But I want to get back to growing up in London. I'm Marquis. You're a Marquis. So... That's a whole bizarre thing. So, so let's talk about your little Michael Daybar, and and what what does that look like? What what's your life when you're a little kid? 
Pretty um, horrendous. How so? Well, my father was a, a very strange, decadent man. I didn't know him that much. I only met him twice. Mm. And my mother um, was his fifth wife. And she was a working-class girl from Liverpool, of all mm -hmm. places. Um, and he was a blue-blood aristocrat. Wow. But unfortunately, what had happened was very, very wealthy men squandered it, as as most men of that age and that era did. Mm -hmm. You know, they were just, you know, he didn't uh, fight in the war. He fled to Switzerland. He, you know, it's very opiated, hooker, oligarch, you know, <laughs> lifestyle. However... When I was born, I was put down for these boarding schools, these very aristocratic mm -hmm. sort of elitist boarding schools. And, and I went to them from eight years old to 16. I never really saw my parents at all. I, I, I knew them. She, he eventually ended up in jail. And she was in the loony bin. She was a, a schizophrenic woman, mm -hmm. which I, I re sort of vaguely remember being exposed to that vibe. And I think, you know, all, this might sound like a terrible Dickensian story, and it is in many ways, but I always um, have the caveat that it really made me strong mm -hmm. and it made me understand abuse, mm -hmm. you know, because this is a male boarding school with the hypocrisy of the British aristocracy, which mm -hmm. was a masturbatory, you know, pedophilic, um, homoerotica. I mean, it was just crazy abusive in these schools and probably still is if they still exist. Um, and one dealt with that. Now, I learned an awful lot about that. I mean, I learned how, how, how lunacy is creative in a way, the madness of, of what creation. Do you mean by that? Well, I think if you are in any way psychologically disturbed, it means that in my case, everything was accelerated. So if I liked Oscar Wilde, I would read everything on Oscar Wilde. Mm -hmm. And I, I, you know, there are many subjects that I'm fascinated by. Mm -hmm. History in particular, Roman history, Greek history, way back, the philosophers of, of, of Rome and Greece have always fascinated me, which is crazy because I love muddy waters as much as I love <laughs> Sophocles. You know, it's the mm -hmm. same, but it's the same principle if you think mm -hmm. about it. Um, and the great Greek philosophers, nothing has changed. If you if you read all of Marcus Aurelius or all, all any philosopher from that golden age of uh, of growth and and people becoming aware that there was a self mm -hmm. and that there was an ego, and the ego was created, mm -hmm. you know Arthur Rimbaud said that the teenage poet you know he said I is another, je suis une autre en français I is another, so therefore I, the I that we create is bullshit. Mm -hmm. Because you're looking at it, so it's not you, it's something that you've created in order to get through the uh, day and night. In my case, mm -hmm. to answer your question a little more succinctly, that's what I did. I created a person to get through the night in this mm -hmm. case, because at night is when the pederasts came out. Holy Dig it. So what's interesting is, so your father left your mother, but he continued to take care of He did care for you. Well, they never, no, they never married. So they got married when I was 30. I got a telegram saying, you're not a bastard anymore. Wow. Yeah. So did he take care of me? Absolutely not. He was in jail for most of my childhood. The money was put in a trust. Okay. I went to the schools at eight 
prior to eight, I don't remember much. I remember mm. that he dabbled in black magic and there was a lot of occultism around. Oh. But at eight years old, I went mm -hmm. to these schools and I never uh, left it. Mm. The kids would all go back to their homes and I stayed in the school with this vast library. So for eight years. Eight so holidays, you were no, not? No, didn't have a holiday. Wow. But I did because that was my life. That was my existence. I didn't compare myself to anybody that went to, you know, Greece for the holidays or Paris or because they were all very wealthy mm -hmm. because my father when I was born was wealthy mm -hmm. so he put me down for the schools he was at, went to right that great British tradition of mm -hmm. education mm -hmm. you know teaching you how to steal from mm -hmm. the working class mm -hmm. essentially mm -hmm. which I didn't it wasn't really interested in learning mm -hmm. but I loved Latin you mm -hmm. know because I could read um these poets and philosophers in Latin. I wow. know. I know this sounds so not rock and roll, but no. I'm not. But I'm not rock and roll. Okay, so I so 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 we want to talk about that. So what can you remember back to what the first thing you ever wanted to be when you grew up? Like, what was your did you want to be a philosopher? What what was your dream? What what when at the, at the youngest memory you have of I, that? I, I wanted to be a god. A god. Yes, I wanted to be like a Greek god. I wanted to a god, uh, yes, not I, a guard, a god. A god, yes. I wanted to walk around with grapes, <laughs> and hang out with really beautiful <laughs> naked nymphettes. I would be naked too, yeah. but I would have a very strategic pouch, <laughs> and a bow and arrow on my. Uh, you know, I was very in love with the with the imagery of it all you know and it stayed with me all that sexuality has stayed with me like that caligula hmm. well caligula is a whole other okay th i was sort of an amazon prime uh, caligula <laughs> i was a caligula that needed ratings so i didn't actually fuck elephants although i have an extraordinary memory Okay, so you so you first wanted to be a god, and did that? So what came next? Where, where when did you the goddess? When, when did you realize that you had talent? Oh, I always knew it. It was, uh, and, and you know, it was. I don't know. It was. I was born with a tremendous sense of confidence, and I we could talk about you have tremendous confidence, and and people mistake it for arrogance a lot of the time. I actually am very insecure. Uh, I I I am full of false bravado quite a bit actually well that we can talk about if you like mm. i have no um uh, you know uh, i would never ju judge you for anything i believe that we have to put on a mask to a great mm. degree but there's a reason damascus is called damascus you know Go ahead. when saul went to uh, he was a slave trader mm. saint paul was on the road to Damascus and had this vision and became St. Paul. And I believe that the word Damascus, Damascus, mm. is very, very salient. That biblical, the Bible is filled with doublantons, not of a sexual nature, but of a, of a sort of an intellectual nature, if you read it in a certain way. But mm. yeah, I've, I can go into rooms now and, um, and have done ever since I was a little kid and mm -hmm. not think or even concern myself about what the fuck you think about me. I love that so much. I, I'm still trying to learn that at 61. Well, then everything is important. Mm -hmm. You calling me to do this, I don't have nothing to promote. I, yeah. I am simply here because I find you interesting. I have, oh, I, have, I, have, I have reached a peak in my life where I don't need the money mm -hmm. and I don't need the pats on the head from the corporate machine. Mm -hmm. And I don't need a recurring role on Game of Thrones. I mean, I don't need that. I've done that. I've done 150 hours of American television. Yes, you have. 40 movies, 20 albums. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I've done it quite a lot. 
um, and I don't need anybody to tell me that I'm cool. Besides, little Stephen thinks I'm cool. So if little Stephen Van Zandt thinks you... <laughs> that, that, I, I was just talking about that in your intro. Um, I grew up with um, 60s and 70s FM, Pete Fornatel and Allison Steele, The Nightbird in New York, uh, WNEW FM, and... FM radio in those days was sacred. Um, those DJs um, f- really did influence the the trajectory of my life. They 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 got me to feel, to think, to. Um, it's a three chord journey, baby. You know what what happened to those. Alison, especially as a woman, mm-hmm. you could see she had power. Oh, God. I don't mean power in that she had she could influence people. Mm-hmm. I mean power in the fact that she loved that music. Yeah, she did. And she played it for a reason. And the reason was she wanted to spread the word uh, of rock and roll, which to me is now an energy drink. But at the, in those days, mm-hmm. th- there was... It was the soundtrack to a revolution. This is not mm-hmm. anything new. So it was great to see a woman, especially... Meg Griffin also, who I, yeah. who's back on Sirius now. Yeah. It's an amazing thing that Little Steven's done, because especially his new album is crazy good. Soulfire I mean, it's really... And I heard really he's going good. out on tour with it. He's I, on I, it. He's, he, he's oh, he's been out in Europe. Okay. He's in, he played Manchester two nights ago mm-hmm. after the dreadful... Is he coming to L.A.? Occurrence. Uh, he is nothing uh, L.A. It's mm-hmm. all Europe, mm-hmm. because he's got a... A 14-piece band. But to stay on topic, mm-hmm. little Stephen Van Zandt has created this sort of sacred garage, if you mm-hmm. will, an electric church of music that really is soulful mm-hmm. and true and authentic. All of the songs that we play, mm-hmm. I call them three-chord prayers, you know, mm-hmm. because whether they're fast, slow, vulnerable, aggressive, whatever it is, it's fascinating, especially for me because I am a student of anything. I'll glom onto it, as mm-hmm. I said earlier. So if I'm... If I'm playing Gimme Shelter, mm-hmm. I know what color Bill Wyman's socks were. Wow. I'm being facetious. I, 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 but, but, but I know but, what you're saying. Yeah, but if you contextualize it, mm-hmm. if you've heard a song a thousand times, if you know that Get Off My Cloud came after I Can't Get No Satisfaction, which put the stones in a status, stratospheric mm-hmm. position, mm-hmm. what do they do next? Get off my fucking cloud. <laughs> That's what made them the Rolling Stones. Mm-hmm. Fuck you. I don't care whether you dig it or not. Mm-hmm. It's the same principle as I was saying earlier. Mm-hmm. And I was taught by Keith Richards, as a lot of us was. But most of all, Mick Jagger's swagger mm-hmm. was so incredibly impressive. Mm-hmm. As a young man, as a teenager, he was a me and my baby party, come on, mm-hmm. I can't get started. You know, and it was all so laissez-faire, so confident, so facile, so androgynous. It's like mm-hmm. Nereth. It was like Lord Byron with a guitar. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so I, so um, we're, we're going to the end, and we'll come back to the beginning. When you, when you, <laughs> good when, luck with that. When you're programming, I, I was saying to Louise, I get the feeling that you guys are picking your. Uh, do you have a playlist you have to adhere to? Or? Oh yes. Oh, very, you do very, very much so. But oh, it is okay. my playlist because if you think about it, you have your favorites. I mean, I can go from Nancy Sinatra to Iggy mm-hmm. in a in a in a heartbeat, right. and and the, the common thread I think of all of our artists is the confidence that they exude mm-hmm. on these tracks. If you think of Ronnie Spector, mm-hmm. and you think of Ronnie Spector's vibrato, mm-hmm. "Be My Baby," all of that, that is as important as Hendrix's "Wah Wah Pedal." Mm-hmm. It's a it's a it's a, a an archaeological, cultural 
blessing mm -hmm. Ronnie Spector's mm -hmm. <laughs> voice so there's a thread where all of these artists be they the coasters you you wouldn't know who the coasters were that mm -hmm. you wouldn't know their names you, but you know the coasters and they and they sing these songs these beautiful soul songs and they mean every fucking syllable and that's what makes it so fascinating to me that it's so authentic is an overused word mm -hmm. today but I tell you what's even more overused the word underrated mm. How many times do you hear that a day? Mm. The word underrated is overrated, mm. you know. <laughs> I mean, it's constantly being as if you know that they were great and nobody else did. But you've got to ask yourself, how would you describe success? How would you s describe success? If I'm happy with it, mm -hmm. I could give a fuck. Although, That's successful. Okay, but it's also easier to say that when you've made the money and you've had the other trappings In of 1972, success. In mm 1972, -hmm. when Silver had started, mm -hmm. this is why people say, it's so funny because I got a question today on the air. Somebody says, there's all those kids out there, those desperate kids mm -hmm. um, you see in documentaries going, you know, we could have, but we didn't. You've got to ask yourself, what do you want? What are you, what are you doing? You're playing your guitar. How many times a day do you, uh, in a disciplined way, learn how to play your instrument? What do you want? You want to be David Lee Roth? Is that what you want? You want to wear tight drivers and, uh, and have girls, you know, blow you and, uh, you know, and, and, and drink Jack Daniels and all of the mythical bullshit? Or mm -hmm. do you want to be a musician? Mm -hmm. and, and if your ambition is merely to be, a, you know, a rock star, you never become one. Mm -hmm. You know, you think of all of the great artists. Do you think they give a shit, you know, in the beginning? You've got to want to play. Mm -hmm. Springsteen and Stevie, as teenagers, would go into the city they would listen to the Yardbirds mm -hmm. and they would go back to Jersey mm -hmm. and quote, they would go into their mother's, Stevie's, mm -hmm. um, Stevie's uh, mother's basement uh, with Bruce and make, quote, the same racket. <laughs> because they had to. Mm -hmm. They had to express mm -hmm. themselves. The thing about self-expression is, who's the self? Who's doing the expressing? Is it, is it you being David Lee Roth? Are you being Keith Richards doing the expression? Or is it you, what you have to offer? You're a very singular, unique woman, Vicky. You should know that. Mm -hmm. And you don't have to be copy, dress, bleach your hair, do your toenails, wear lots of rings. You don't have to do any of that. But you can. Mm -hmm. Gotta own it. Well, owning who I am is not my issue. That, that I'm, I'm good with that, and I, I feel confident in that. By the way, uh, before we get on that, I just want to say that this weekend I was at Phil Rosenthal's, and he plays music before he shows movies, and he showed the Super Bowl halftime show with Bruce and Little Steve, with the E Street Band, and I had forgotten how spectacular. Did, did you see that, that halftime show with Bruce? It, it's the most spectacular thing you have to YouTube and what it. Would you re what, what, what one word would you use to describe why it was so spectacular? Passion. Passion. There, and, and, and exuberant joy. It was exuberant joy. Joyousness. It was so joyful. He's a preacher, man. And, well, but, but what Phil told me later afterwards was that um, little Stephen and Bruce used to watch the Super Bowl as boys together and having that experience of playing there together and there's one there's a, a piece at the very end where they're in the same microphone doing the harmony and looking at each other and you can see that look in their faces like this is our dream we are living our dream come true in this moment and they were they were relishing every 
second of it. He does describe this moment really, really beautifully in, the book? in his book. Yes. Ah, okay. But the, but the interesting thing about all of that, and it's beautiful, if you can live an existentialist life where mm -hmm. you can look in somebody's eyes as if you're playing the Super Bowl, and I'm talking to all of you guys out there, mm -hmm. you can experience the same joy, brothers and sisters. There's no reason why heroic figures, uh, it, that is the property of heroic figures, you guys out there can feel that same joy when you connect with connect with friends, family, and community. It don't ha don't need a Super Bowl audience to be that close to one another. I love that, Michael. What what the purpose of this show? What it is? The road taken, the the concept. What what I was trying to get to is to talk to people who have managed to live their to live dream to realize their dreams and what that road was to get there. What it felt like along the way. Was it fulfilling? Was it disappointing? And have managed to merge creativity and commerce because it's easy to say once you've been there and once you've made the money and you don't have to worry okay. about it the, anymore. Yeah, that's a cliche. Let's talk about what we're talking about. No, but what I'm real. saying, Michael, is there are a lot of people yeah, who, who they uh, can got feel the money. that. Well, no, they can feel the joy and they can say, yes, this is what I wanted. I am relating now, but they've still got to put bread on the table. They've still got to have the reality of life of having financial uh, success along with it so that they can live, so they can do their creative dream. Oh, so they have to eat. So they have to eat. Wow, I never thought of that. Well, but Michael, you've been able to do that for a long Wait a minute. time. Okay, let's just hold our horses here. I've had peaks and valleys like everyone else. I want to talk about those. Well, we are. Okay. And uh, I've been at Live Aid, mm -hmm. and I've been a, a drunk heroin addict. Mm -hmm. Um, so these are choices, you know. Um, I don't believe that happiness is success. I don't believe that happiness is money. Mm -hmm. I don't either. I spend more time speaking to people who are drunk, who are stoned, who can't get away from it, than I do regular people. Mm -hmm. I speak to homeless people on the street who've told me the wisest of things. I said to mm -hmm. a guy yesterday, he said... He said, I, I don't think about the hands of time. I just want to hold them. Ooh. I mean, the beauty and diamonds and the, the precious jewels of, of communication and humanity come in the strangest places, from the strangest places. The Super Bowl is a beautiful thing to see. These brothers in arms that at 15 years old were watching the Super Bowl. But what I'm saying is that feeling can mm -hmm. be felt by people on a street corner. Mm -hmm. And and that's really all, all I have to say. I mean, when you say the road taken, how many roads are left? Are there any roads left to take? Absolutely. Then it's in the singular what you're using to make a point, and it's a very good one. But there's a, a an endless avenues in boulevards. Well, exactly. That's why we talk to loads of people because no, for an individual mm -hmm. not lots of people with different roads we all have different roads to go down alleyways and boulevards absolutely we all have it but and we also have tools which in recovery i i don't know your experience with recovery but mine is that i show up in meetings and i i never think about recovery okay what what, what okay i think about discovery mm. i'm not recovering from anything I never were. I have 36 years sober on Monday. 
Congratulations. On Monday, June 19th, 1981, mm -hmm. I crawled in there with my velvet trousers. What what made you what 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 brought you in there? What made you Paul get sober? Paul Fishkin. Um I was with Zeppelin and Danny Goldberg who has a brilliant book out right now mm -hmm. called 1967 mm -hmm. Searching for the Lost Chord, uh, the hippie dream of of peace and love. And I was with Zeppelin because Danny was Peter Grant, the manager's right-hand man, and I was on the label, Swan Song in a Bank or Detective, or Defective as we called it at the time. But uh, there I am, <laughs> and we're playing a game, and when you lose uh, this particular game, you have a shot at tequila. Mm -hmm. I'd been using drugs only for about three or four years for hardcore cocaine and, and heroin, and uh, I didn't drink. Booze never really was my thing. My but I was drinking tequila, tequila, tequila. And Danny, who, mm -hmm. uh, if you know him, or you guys out there grab that book, it's it's incredibly uh, real. <laughs> um, he sweeps all the tequila off the table. This is Jimmy Page, Robert Plant, John Paul Jones, and Bonzo, and Peter Grant. Five of the most powerful, iconic men mm -hmm. I've ever been. You've been in a room with one of them. You're just like splattered against the <laughs> wall like it's gravity, you know. Uh, and... They just looked and were so shocked. And I, I thought, you know, you can be self-expressive and courageous in any circumstance. This is Zeppelin. You know, so you, the, the monolith of Zeppelin was such a, this behemoth of uh, this monstrous creation, this cult. It wasn't a band. Mm -hmm. It was a cult to those kids in the empty parking lots of America. And, and there I was with these icons. And he did that. And something just clicked. I thought, what the fuck am I doing? You know, who am I trying to impress? What am I? What beast am I feeding? You know, and uh, his buddy Paul Fishkin was like a few months sober. Fishkin was great. He was going out with Stevie Nicks, a sexy guy, Laurel Canyon hair, velvet, beautiful Stevie, great rock and roll couple. But the, and he hit bottom uh, a few months mm -hmm. uh, before uh, Danny took me to this guy and said, um, Michael's a mess, you know, can you help? Mm -hmm. And and he did. And I walked into that, that room uh, with these drunks. And in those days, it was very much raincoats and naked light bulbs and mm -hmm. ashtrays. Mm -hmm. It's not like it is now. Now it's all tattoos and, and iPods, but <laughs> which is fine. Mm -hmm. um, but it was very different in those days. Mm -hmm. You know, the cigarettes, the coffee, the, the, mm -hmm. the, the classic Jack Lemmon going crazy, you mm -hmm. know, that vibe, days of wine and iPods. But I, <laughs> I thought, fuck this. And, and I, within minutes, <laughs> I went, look, these people are fantastic. They were beautiful. You know, they were nervous. They were vulnerable. But they were there. Mm -hmm. They were in this room together. Mm -hmm. And I suddenly felt that I wasn't some aberrant creature. Mm -hmm. Of course, I was wrong. <laughs> I will always be an aberrant mm -hmm. creature. But I did know that there was a community here that I could really be a part of. Mm -hmm. I didn't have a father. I didn't have a mother. I had a band. Mm -hmm. Yeah, And that, my band were my brothers. So, uh, so let's go back to that. So, so when did that all? What came first, acting or music? Well, I did to so with love when I was sixteen. We were talking about that. I can rem I I can see you in my mind's eye as if it were as if I was watching it yesterday. Oh, I can so pick. Sweet. No, I adore that movie, and yeah. you are totally memorable in that role. Well, um, so we were in drama school. Mm -hmm. I just left this this incredibly Malcolm McDowell uh, school. And I know I don't have to say much to you cultural ladies who know <sighs> shit, but it was uh, just a strict uh, hypocritical hypocrisy up the ass. Mm -hmm. So, and I'd rejected it. At, at 12 years old, I heard Sonny Boy Williamson and Muddy and, and Sunhouse and R.L. Burnside and John Lee Hooker and all of it. And I thought, that's, and it's so interesting that young English, white, 
boys and girls would gravitate to the music of oppressed slavery. Wow. Why would, why would Jeff Beck play a John He's Lee Hooker God. song? Mm. Me too. Mm. You know, why would that happen? What is, the, what is the link? Now, I have many theories, as I do about many things, mm -hmm. but that I cannot explain. I can only think that the working class after the Second World War was so oppressed mm -hmm. that, hello, mm -hmm. you know, perhaps oppression was the common denominator. Mm -hmm. and, um, but the music is so, it's, there's such emotion and feeling in there. And before that, it was bouncy and uh, saccharine. sound familiar? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's so, 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 so when you got out of that oppressive environment, the first thing you did was go study, you, stud you went, studied acting? Yeah, I went that to drama school. Mm -hmm. And Malcolm was, Malcolm was two years ahead of me. And, and he, you know, within three months, I had done, you know, several. It, it seemed that it was perfect, you know, and I did a few television shows. How, how did that happen for you? How well, did you there was an agency attached to the drama school. So the sister of Hazel Malone, who run the Corona Drama School, which, you know, is Malcolm and a, lo a lot of Judy Gieson, you know, a lot of people went to that school and a lot of people were at there at my time. But, you know, Stevie Marriott, Phil Collins, you know, there's a lot of, uh, you know, you either went to art school or you went to drama school. And how, who, who paid for that? You, you, did your father foot that bill? What happened was, the minute I got out of school, mm -hmm. I um, had been left 2,000 pounds, which I had to go over to the solicitors, right? My mother's in and out of the loony bin. Mm -hmm. um, and... And I say that only to lighten up that whole thing for myself. I don't mm -hmm. say it in, in terms of, you know, being um, you know, derogatory or mm -hmm. mean. Um, but I had the money. I had 2,000 pounds. And I was at draw And I found this agency. I was 16. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, uh, this uh, agency and the sister ran the drama school. I went to the drama school and I got a flat with two guys mm -hmm. with this money. Within three weeks, I was on telly. I was doing a series called Dixon of Doc Green, and I would just play vicious little juvenile delinquents. However, I spoke like, you know, but the thing is, is I spoke terribly well because I've just been through this rather awful, beastly education with these dreadful people, and I spoke like this. Uh, oh, really? Oh, Debar, how are you this evening? I'm terrific. Don't, please don't bugger me, you know. And, uh, and now I'm all right. How are you doing? No, I'm good. No, I just want to throw a brick through the window. <laughs> and, th and, th and that would be that character. And I would play like little bastards. I mean, the rock and roll persona that I created, mm -hmm. I'm not saying, let me hear you say, yeah. You know, uh, you know, and now the girls and now the boys. <laughs> you, know, you can't do that. Yeah. So you have to adopt a personality through which to get through that experience. And that's called acting. So this acting that seemed to come very easily naturally to you, do you remember going out and auditioning for that first do you remember getting that first gig with that what what was that for you it's pretty much a michael day blur <laughs> you know i i i well you get it but you said you weren't getting high young oh no absolutely mm -hmm. not i mean we were all eating hashish okay. but it didn't mm -hmm. feel like it was getting high we were mm -hmm. 17 16 17 and mm -hmm. i already got into hashish you mm -hmm. know i loved hashish but I've never been so stoned as I've been on hashish. Eating it, I do not mm. recommend it. <laughs> I went back to Nazi Germany the first time I smoked it, mm. and uh, that was a very unpleasant experience, uh, which I would never repeat. But um, in terms of going in and getting the gig, I've always been pretty fearless. 
about it and I just learned the lines and went in and went, all right, I just, I, no, I won't. Oh, you, you can't make me, you know, whatever it was. Some adolescent <laughs> angsty, you know, mm-hmm. you know soliloquy, mm-hmm. which I'd learned and did. And they went, all right. They can't wait to get you out of there. And get they, You're the last thing they're worried about. This is what I tell young actors mm-hmm. and actresses. They just want to cast it and find out where they're going to shoot the dining room scene and what the location is going to be and the way, you know, what car, mm. you know, Ryan Gosling's going to drive. Mm. I mean, it's got nothing, you know, we are the lowest on the totem pole, which is why I don't do it right now. Uh, so, okay, so let's just hit that one mark, the the To Sir With Love. Did you know when you were doing that that there was something special about that? Well, the something special was with Sidney, Sidney Poitier, Poitier. <laughs> you know, which is the most noble man <sighs> and the most eloquent and... And the most private and the most mm. uh, zen, really. I wouldn't know that those words at that time, but we were all in love with him. Mm. And Connery was shooting Bond right next door at Pinewood in the other. <laughs> so, so, you know, they were often together. Wow. Um, and we'd shoot it, we'd do a rehearsal, and uh, Sydney would say, okay, you know. Uh, sit down, guys. You know, and then they go, okay, let's 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 do a take. And Connery had come in and go, sit down, children. <laughs> and you go, oh my god, you know, just because they loved each other, they had, you know, they played mm-hmm. different roles. And then Sydney would go on the Bond set. Oh, too and funny. And nobody would know, you know. Too funny. Double O Sydney. You know? <laughs> but, uh, uh, so we. He could have ju- been a Bond. He was he really sexy could. as hell. Oh, so quite. well. You know what it is? What it is? Why? What is that sexy in that male? That dominant male is posture. If you look at Daniel Craig mm-hmm. and you look at Pierce Brosnan, Pierce Brosnan... Oh, I've met him in per- He has exceptional posture. Well, he's a model. Yeah. Daniel Craig is an actor. Mm. I, I think Pierce Brosnan has become a pretty good actor, but it, uh, Daniel Craig has a absolute animalism. You know, he, he doesn't look like Harry Styles, mm-hmm. you know, or you know, whatever the current beautiful person is. Um which is a great title for something. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, he, but nobility and balls and confidence in a humble way. Mm-hmm. Humility is really sexy. Yes, it if, is. If you have really good arms. <laughs> we had this discussion when you came to Women Who Write. We were talking about sculpting arms. Yes. Did you sculpt your arms? I do, in, yes. in marble. And sell it on eBay. <laughs> okay, good. We'll, we'll, we'll leave we'll leave it at that. So, um, okay. So, so music and acting. W- when did the music come in? How did that happen for well, you? I always listened to it and loved it. Mm-hmm. And then I started to become it because you know, '66 is when we did that movie, and then I did a lot of work after that uh, on telly and a couple mm-hmm. of movies. I did a movie with Tony Curtis called Drop Dead Darling. Which was one of the most incredible. I have never. I, you know what it was? It was Elvis. Mm. It was that jet blue black hair, and we. Did, it was a sequence where we were in an orphanage, and it was a back in time scene for Tony. Tony was playing like I'm a, bo- a I young saw boy, uh-huh. Shelley McLean, mm-hmm. and he was. And, and there I am with Tony Curtis, and I'm thinking, what the fuck happened? This is insane because I loved it. You know, Elvis is, and who is one my mm. number one guy. Um, other than Nijinsky, which mm. is a whole other story. <laughs> but, but, but Elvis, um, and love Tony Curtis. And mm. Tony Curtis was so outrageous was on he? the set. How uh, so? Tony, you can't wear your watch. You got to take your watch off. You can't wear Fuck you with the watch. <laughs> oh, well, what fucking time it is. I got a hooker coming over here. It's like New York. It's like Bernie Schwartz. Get out of here. We're one. <laughs> Get the it. fuck out of my face. <laughs> I will take my fucking watch. You say, you fight. 
You know, I'm so happy to hear this because I would never in a million years think that of him. He was a punk. And all all great stars, I think, if you don't have like a mad tirade every now and then, (laughs) you ain't human. Although, Poitier, never. He was, because of, he's, look, dig it. 60s, African-American, biggest movie star in the world. Mm Mm-hmm. That took concentration. It certainly did. It um, was he as lovely and as gracious as I would think he was. Yes, and mm-hmm. more and mm-hmm. more. So mm-hmm. he actually had a, literally had a a frequency around him, mm-hmm. where you didn't approach him. You know, now you go, oh, Justin. You know, uh, in, but when he was there, and we were young, we were mm-hmm. not accomplished actors. We were mm-hmm. trying to find out who we were. You know. And standing around him, it was almost like, you know, you started to feel that frequency, that energy going into your veins. Wow. And I could feel it. I could feel, that's a star, man. That's, that's, I I can't even describe it. I knew Bowie pretty good, Mm -hmm. and he had that too, Mm -hmm. where you didn't dare go anywhere near him, you know, unless he hugged you and and brought you in and, Mm -hmm. you know, and demanded a cigarette. (laughs) But but, the point being is Poitier was otherworldly. That's why I always say he is the most charismatic. If you want to talk about charisma, oh my God! Even the crew would go, "Yes, Mister Watson," you know, like humbly, like you know. Wow. Oh yeah, it was. It was. So I learned many things. Mm-hmm. I learned that you know, a acting is is collaborative, mm-hmm. and b you have to respect um, your fellow actors mm-hmm. and actresses and be as a, as much service to them as possible. Mm-hmm. And you know this, Vicky, backwards and forwards. If I'm here and they shoot me right here mm-hmm. and then they turn around, you guys out there know what I'm talking about, and then they shoot the other person who's talking. Mm-hmm. Often, not often, but occasionally you get an actor who doesn't do that. You shoot a scene, the two mm-hmm. of you, mm-hmm. and then the other actor or actress leaves and a script supervisor reads the, the and and whenever that happens, I literally now have said cut and gone to the dressing room. Get the fuck in here! Are you cr- you think I'm going to talk to a lamp? You know, my mother died. Oh, you can't believe it! Could you just hold me and I'm talking to a fucking lamp? I mean, that's not yeah. cool. Yeah, no, that's not. And I've cool. gone into a lot of trouble, and I don't care. I got into a whole thing recently. I did a. Oh, I shouldn't tell this story. But no, it's a, tell it, the story. It's a big TV show. Mm-hmm. I really study lines. I mm-hmm. really know what I'm saying, and I know what everybody else is saying mm-hmm. I'm feeling. So I get in there, and the guy says, no, I can't say that. I go, okay. And director, they're all pussies, because it's all corporate, and they've mm-hmm. got 20 guys going, like, should we do this? I don't know. What do you think? I don't know. It's <laughs> like those vultures in a Disney movie. What do you think? I don't think. I don't know. Maybe. Should he do that? He looked great. I like the cut. I didn't like it. No, I didn't like it either. You know, it's just crap. So you're trying to be fabulous, uh, mm-hmm. an act, and mm-hmm. uh, and you're getting this shit. So he's coming out with this, and I go, listen, man, if you want to change the lines, change the lines with the writer and the producer. Mm-hmm. I'll be at my house. <laughs> and when you finished it, you know, I said trailer, but I should have said house. <laughs> I would have it's cooler. It's a better story with house. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. But 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 the, but the principle of it is remains the same. Mm-hmm. You've got to respect each other. You can't just stroll on a set. He was a, a regular on the show, and mm-hmm. therefore thought he was, you know, 
I don't know, you know, Robert Vaughan or mm. something. <laughs> I loved Robert Vaughan. I loved Robert Vaughan too. Mm. Talk about style. Mm. Um, but, yeah, so, you know, there were problems. There's definitely problems. And today I, 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 don't, um, I don't subscribe to them. I leave. Okay. Usually with some subtle epithet. <laughs> I'm sure it's subtle. Oh, yeah, I'm sure it's very subtle. Well, they don't even know they've been insulted. Ah. That's, that's, that's the ultimate <laughs> put down. When you don't even know till two days later, you go, you know, that might... <laughs> Oh, <laughs> shit, the little shit, you know, and they call my agent, I get a call from my agent, like, Michael, what did you say? I said, I don't even remember, darling. Oh, Fuck them. <laughs> okay, so, so how, I'm, I'm going to get this out of you if it kills me. So when was, when did music become a part of your, of your... When I played the um, glamorous rock star on the West End of London stage, I sang, it was a musical. And I'd always loved Rod. Mm-hmm. I always thought Rod was like oh, the shit, the faces. Mm-hmm. I couldn't believe the faces. I, when I first saw the faces, I went, if I can't be that, I want to die right now. Jeff Beck is my guy. I wasn't kidding. I mean, yes, I'm, I'm that place, those well, people. You, that era mm-hmm. uh, of Chuck Berry. But, but, but you had Rod, who, who was Sam Cooke, you know, David mm. Ruffin from The Temptations. I mean, he had so many incredible influences, all of which I'd been listening to. So sh- long story short, mm-hmm. I'm doing the musical, and I suddenly had this, you know, like, Wake up, Maggie, I think I got something mm. to say to you. And I thought, oh, my God, I can do that. I can sing that raspy fucking R&B and, you know, that, that rocking, smooth, Sam Cooke, ballsy, sexy, Otis, Wilson Pickett, Aww. let's fuck, let's sing, <laughs> let's, you know, all of that. So I thought, oh, God, I can do that. Andrew Lloyd Webber is in the audience. They're doing the demos for Superstar. And Ian Gillen had been singing uh, Judas. Mm-hmm. So he wasn't available this particular session, Andrew and Tim. Now, Sir Andrew Lloyd Webber and Sir Tim Rice, mm-hmm. this is way back, mm-hmm. 70s, 70. And uh, he sees me up there and and he comes back and he says, um, Michael, do you have any uh, songs that you've written that you could come and perhaps sing for us? And I said, absolutely loads of them. <laughs> songs? I've got so many songs. Never, no song. Of course. <laughs> so he says, well, as well, come to my apartment in Cadogan Square in Kensington. And uh, come and uh, perhaps play for me and uh, my friends. I said, Andrew, my pleasure. <laughs> so for the next two days, I thought, what the fuck am I going So I had a guitar and I strummed a little. But I came up with a phrase. And the phrase was, will you finance my rock and roll band? Will you give me a chance? Will you finance my rock and roll band? Because all I want to do is dance. And I thought, Okay, that's a genius. <laughs> so I started to play this song, and I played it, and then my mate Steve came over, he was Irish. Hey, Michael, um, you need like a chorus. I said, what's a chorus? <laughs> oh, okay. Yes, the, the repetition thing. Got it. Okay, do that. So then I sang that as the chorus. How could you refuse a young man who came in a green velvet suit and a yellow boa and eye makeup and silver boots? Would you say no? Well, he didn't. He paid for me. He bought me a, a, a flat in Hampstead. He got me a record deal with Purple Records, which was Ian's label. Ian Gillen's mm-hmm. was in Deep Purple. Mm-hmm. They, they got me. They signed me. The play 
went down. I, I couldn't do anything until the play was finished, the musical. Mm-hmm. I, I um, connected, signed the papers, didn't even read them. Lawyer, what is a lawyer? Signed everything. And they said, okay, let's audition people. And that's how, that's how it went. I'd never done a gig. I'd only been in this play. I'd never done a rock and roll show. I'd never gone in a club. I've never been in a van. I thought a PA was a personal assistant. <laughs> I didn't know shit. <laughs> so, so when you did your, so how did you put it all together to do to start? How did that quickly. come together? Yeah, yeah. How quickly? Very quickly. I just thought it. It was like acting. It was the same. I just imagined it. But what they did was they put in a, I said, they said, we want to put an ad in a music paper, mm-hmm. the Melody Maker, you might know of it. It's a mm-hmm. very famous uh, British mm-hmm. uh, uh, rock and roll magazine. And there were ads at the back for like bands who mm-hmm. needed a singer, a bass player, mm-hmm. a drummer. So they, I, I, they said, Michael, write an ad. I said, wanted erotic, relaxed musicians. <laughs> I love that combination. Right. So I want it, a husband like that. Unfortunately, the same thing that happened to me and you wanting a husband mm-hmm. is they didn't write that. They put wanted erotic relaxers. Oh. Which is a great name for a band. It is but, a great name but, for but a band, it mean, but what did that it bring? It mean nothing. Yeah, yeah. Well, what it brought in was the absolutely most eccentric motherfuckers in, in London. Like porn stars. Well, I mean, what do you get with that? Well, collectively, my first man, Silverhead, weighed 150 pounds. <laughs> so... <laughs> Clearly, thinness was important, uh, and I just, I just said to the first four guys that looked great, I swear to God, and that was the band. We were the greatest rock and roll band ever, in my humble oh opinion. Oh my God! And they just re-released all the records, on Purple Records, all these, oh you know. Oh my God! And, That's and, fantastic. And we went into the rehearsals, mm-hmm. and but we didn't have anything to rehearse, so we thought well, we're going to write something. So I wrote a song called "More Than Your Mouth Can Hold." <laughs> Which was about hamburgers. Oh, that's not what I thought it was about. Oh, really? <laughs> so, yeah, it was a sexy song. So we rehearsed that. We thought, oh, this is great. And then mm-hmm. within three weeks, we were making the album. Then the album came out, and we supported Deep Purple in Japan. I, so saw, the Deep first Purple gigs, at, uh, were, I saw Deep Purple yeah. in the 70s. I wonder if you opened for them. <laughs> well, we did. We did three Did you do it in New York tours. at all? Did you do uh, the Felt Forum in New York? We That's did where the I Felt saw Forum. Them. <gasps> we also opened for Kiss at the Felt Forum. But oh, my God. No, I I'm sorry. You. It, forgive me. Kiss opened for us at the Felt oh, Forum. Oh, stop. That's right. That's why Gene has been so good to me over the years. Every band I've been in, he's put me on those tours. But I love Gene. I mean, he's a controversial figure, but... Ace you know, used to play at my pro jam in the... Long yeah, time ago. Well, deep down, he's a really good guy. Yes, he uh, is. And his family, <laughs> you know. And I've worked with Shannon. I played Shannon's husband in a TV series. Oh, how fun. Um, with Oliver Hudson, Kate's brother, who was also a sweetheart. Uh-huh. But, you know, it just happened that way. Got to Japan, white face makeup, kabuki mm. kind of. They loved us. And there were huge crowds. Then we come back to Cleveland to 11 people. You mean you were wearing white face, before, white face. before Kiss? Oh, years before Kiss. Wow. And look at the pictures and look at the dates. Wow. If you need proof, you know. But but I knew that Kabuki would drive him crazy. So what I did was <laughs> I asked the record company if I could go see a real Kabuki, which I was very interested in anyway, mm-hmm. just to, because in drama school we were learning how to move. And, mm-hmm. and Kabuki was always, because they, they walk, they have this real incredible style. Bowie too, obviously loved all of that. Mm-hmm. Lindsey Kemp was a mime guy. And... Uh, and so, yes, we had a white face. We went to Japan. They loved us. I broke my wrist. I broke my arm. Look. Oh. Ooh. Yeah. That's very odd. I fell off stage. I, I was wearing a red um, panties 
and thigh-high red boots and nothing else. And I came out on a Harley Davidson and it was um, dry ice. I didn't see the edge of the stage. The band started to play. I came out on a bike. I end up in the orchestra oh, band. shoot. That is not a good thing. Broke everything. Oh, my God. First tour. Oh, so no. All, yeah, so all of the photographs you see of me, I mean, at cast, which I then sprayed silver and stuck kisses all over it, you know, and uh, it's been pretty crazy. What a heady time to... Uh, silver heady. Yeah, silver heady. Mm. What, a, what an incredible time to, to, to be doing that. When, when did you meet Pamela? Well, in 1973, we came uh, to Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. Rodney met us at the airport with a carload of beautiful hmm. young girls whose mothers and fathers lived in the Pacific Palisades and were mm -hmm. heiresses. And what they did was they looked after 90-pound rock stars. <laughs> that was their hobby, mm -hmm. like some girls do, you know, ballet, mm -hmm. and, and some girls crochet, <laughs> and some girls want to get fucked by an English rock and roll musician <laughs> and take care of them, mm -hmm. more, more importantly. Mm -hmm. Now, Miss Pamela's era was pretty much done by then. The GTOs mm -hmm. were no more, mm -hmm. and uh, Pamela um, was dating Chris Hillman mm -hmm. from The Birds, mm -hmm. And we had a week at the whiskey. Mm -hmm. But prior to that, we land in New York for like the second or third tour. And they're making a movie. Warhol's making a movie called Arizona Slim. And it's going to be directed by Chuck something or other. Mm -hmm. I can't remember his name, but, you know, we can look it up. Chuck, Chuck something or other. So the movie, by the way, Ted Danson had two lines in the movie. But, oh, okay. but I, they needed a, a rock star. So they had Keith Moon. Mm -hmm. And Keith Moon didn't show up. So I'm in, and Pamela is in the movie. So they get hold of, like, who's in town? An English rocker who, this what? Michael does what? Does Boris? Okay, <laughs> okay, get him. Great, you know. So I show up on the set. Um, Wait, tell me the name of the movie again? Arizona Slim. Arizona Chuck Slim. Wine. Okay. One of Warhol's guys. Okay. Um, and he's directing. And I, I come on the set. Mm -hmm. I see this ass <laughs> in a Betty Grable. 1940s bathing suit mm. and high heels and 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 you know you know what are the tights called with the fishnets, fishnets. <laughs> my new band is called the fishnets is it no it is not um so there she is and she turns around over her left shoulder and i see the most beautiful smile and the most beautiful ass mm -hmm. I've ever seen in my life. She seemed to embody and epitomize America. Mm -hmm. It was Betty Grable, but it was rock and roll. Mm -hmm. We're on a movie set. Mm -hmm. There are cameras, there are lights, there's coke, there's makeup. Mm -hmm. You know, it was those days. Mm -hmm. And I fell in love with her like that. The mm -hmm. only problem was I just married somebody three weeks before. Oh, I didn't know this part of the story. Yeah. And um, we lived with all of that for a long time. It was, uh, but you know who got me out of that marriage? Peter Grant. How so? Because he called a couple of people. And um, it was very difficult. It was very difficult. Uh, How long did that go on that you were in love with Pamela and still married? It was about a year. Mm -hmm. um, it's something I'm so not proud of mm -hmm. and regret to this day. But my documentary's coming out soon, and she's in it. And we've kind of made up. Love. You know. did, you do, did you do a nine-step amends? Do did, did you, um, do? you know what? The, the steps, mm -hmm. uh, I, I, I um, as I said, I'm 36 years sober. 
making amends, uh, yes. Uh, did I uh, make an extra effort? Yes. It was the first, you know, very early on in my sobriety mm -hmm. I did it. Now I try to live a life where I don't need Absolutely. to make amends. That's right. But in those days I certainly did. And, and you do have to clean things up. I, I cleaned something up with a musician I worked with who uh, we did an album together. Great guy. Mm -hmm. But uh, the album, uh, you know, and I didn't want to put it out and... Um, and nobody wanted to put it out to be perfectly candid mm -hmm. and um and we've you know went to war over it mm. you know and and it's only recently that we've gotten ourselves back together so you can do it you know nobody's perfect you know um except elvis presley mm -hmm. and I, and I, had to, <laughs> I know that's pamela's god also oh yeah something you share well the first few minutes of us we talked about elvis james dean and krishnamurti and then so, we all bonded over that. So now, did did she have that same moment that you had in that instant? Where did she fall instantly in love with you as well? Mm -hmm. Yes, yes, it was a mutual, um, which which remains to this day. We haven't been together in twenty five years. I was saying that to Louise uh, bef when I was introducing you. I was saying what I find so lovely about the two of you is how you co-parent your son Nick, mm. and how clear that 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 common that you guys are on the same page with him, with each mm. other. But I love when I see photographs. I've been to Pamela's parties. I've never been mm. there when you've been there, but I've seen pictures of you at her parties. Mm -hmm. And I can see just in the photograph, in the photographs that there's still a genuine love between you, um, a, a mutual affection that's very, very clear. Oh, God. You know, it's interesting, Vicky. You, you, your, uh, your skills are really wonderful you're a wonderful interviewer and this is liberating for me to be able to talk about these things because Thank usually you. they want to know what jimmy page's penis looked like <laughs> well please tell us um, <laughs> it, it, it was english <laughs> i um was it cut it spoke several languages <laughs> uh the thing about miss p is anyone will tell you she is one of the most uh, evolved people you ever met the irony Mm -hmm. And the paradox is she's also the queen of the groupies. Mm -hmm. Now, what she's done, they talk about slut shaming. Mm. They should have been around 30 years ago when I'm With the Band came out, mm -hmm. where Suzanne Summers was shaming Miss Pamela, where every single magazine used her as a, an object where they could put their own impressions of how dreadful it is f for a girl to go out and get what she wants. Isn't you know, that awful, ladies, right? How awful it is for a woman to actually go out and get what she wants. But everyone read the book. But, but you know, right, you jerked up to but, it. But you know what's really interesting, Michael? Pamela yeah. came to Women Who Write. She was one of my very first guests. This is going back nine years ago. And it wasn't in my home at the time. It was, it was at the very, very beginning. And she came. She, she missed the first time because she thought it was 11 o'clock at night. And she was actually interviewing. <laughs> that is so rock and roll. That's so rock and roll. And it was 11 in the morning. And she was at interviewing somebody very cool that day at 11 in the morning couldn't make it but anyway she came the next month and what was interesting is that that first time she came all those years ago she was uncomfortable in a room full of women I, I will talk to her about I want to have her on the show and I want to talk to her about this because I don't know if she was aware she was uncomfortable, but I could see she was uncomfortable. She's not fond of speaking. And well at the time she was I think defensive that she was in this room of women and thinking perhaps we were judging her. And she was talking openly about baths with Zeppelin and, you know, all this kind of stuff that she had done. And she was being outrageous in the story she was telling us, but not connecting. 
And then what was so interesting is she came back about two years ago, and it was a completely mm. different Pamela that mm. I had in my house. Yeah. A completely different Pamela. Yeah, well, it's interesting. I think we've all grown a lot in, mm -hmm. the, in the last couple of years mm -hmm. because of where we're at, you know. Uh, I just, she, she was much more comfortable in the company of other women, much more connected. Well, you know why? Her new book is, mm -hmm. is yeah. called Let It Bleed, mm -hmm. How to Write a Rockin' Memoir. That's probably my agent. <laughs> no, Joey, I'm not right now, buddy. I don't care how much money. 50 grand a day? I'll call you back. That, that sounds good. I'm sorry, Vicky, you were saying. Um, <laughs> we were talking about how Pamela, how the evolution and, and how, oh, her new book. Her new book. That's D what we were talking about. Dig this. About. Let it bleed how mm -hmm. to write a rocket memoir. For the last five years, she's mm -hmm. been teaching young yes. women mm -hmm. and older women mm -hmm. how to write a rocket memoir. So, mm -hmm. therefore, there's been an exchange of emotionality and confidence that she's gained from mm -hmm. the knowledge that she can teach. Mm -hmm. Now, this book is one of the best books she's ever read. She's written five. Mm -hmm. You know what that discipline is. Mm -hmm. So she's incredibly disciplined, mm -hmm. but she's, I think, felt a great sense of confidence in that what she's doing is important. Mm -hmm. It's not about Jimmy Page. That's why I always joke about people want to know about Jimmy, you know. Uh, that kind of dirt is mm -hmm. w what they seem to want, mm -hmm. but they but they don't really. Mm -hmm. You know, they they want to know how to live their lives and how to write about it and express themselves. Mm -hmm. But as I said earlier, you've got to know who you are to be self-expressive. Who that mm -hmm. self is, and uh, I think she's absolutely grown into this very difficult um, persona that um, she's been portrayed in, uh, portrayed in the media as being a, a groupie. Mm -hmm. But she's taken that word into a whole other area of amuse. You talk to Mick Jagger about Miss. Pamela. Mm -hmm. I have. I made the man from Elysian Fields with Mick Jagger. Mm -hmm. I, uh, you know, and um, they all have such admiration because they understand the notion that here's a girl from Reseda, California, mm -hmm. who decided to go and fuck Paul McCartney. Mm -hmm. This is a <laughs> this is a spiritual thing. Dare to dream, right? Uh, well, she didn't just dare. She actually was able to fulfill those. So, tell me though, uh, what what I find fascinating, Michael, is that. Most men would not be able to wrap their heads around falling in love with someone. I just want them to wrap their legs around me. I'm yeah. not, you know, it's well, so. But I mean, was that ever a thing for you? Was there was there no jealousy for you? Was there no? When I read the diaries under the bed mm -hmm. in our little apartment mm -hmm. on Moonlight Drive, mm -hmm. it's a great story. Mm -hmm. And we're on acid. Mm -hmm. And what year is this? 1875 <laughs> and all of the books the journals the handwritten journals under this so she's tripping miss family can imagine i'm a tulip you know and i'm i'm going i'm the devil right now and i go onto the bed and i start to read it and instead of being shocked at these very graphic literal mm -hmm. uh, relationships with all of our heroes mm -hmm. and a couple of heroines i thought <laughs> this is rock and roll pedigree I want to sleep with Jim Morrison, and this is the way I'm going to do it, by reading about it. Wow. I felt so proud of her. I felt this incredible sense of a connection to a, a power in rock and roll that you can only f fantasize about. And here these personal journals way before she wrote the book. Mm -hmm. Can you imagine how You just that made me been? cry to think that a man could be so secure in his manhood that he could accept this about a woman and not only accept it, but celebrate it and, rel I, this is m very moving to I me. I understand that, Vicky. 
I understand it and I appreciate your tears. I'd rather have tears than laughs um, in many ways because I think we express ourselves more clearly with tears than mm. laughs, to be honest. That's a really beautiful thing. But, the, but, the, but it's, uh, you know, it's, I don't feel in any way that it was special or anything. I, I have been so intrinsically weaved into the culture of rock and roll mm -hmm. that to meet Pam after having read about her in the New Musical Express in London and all the shenanigans the GTOs got up to and the dancing at Laurel Canyon and uh, at the Whiskey a Go Go and, and, you know, befriending Jim, you mm -hmm. know, Jim Morrison is, hmm. you know, I mean, th this is a biblical thing. This mm -hmm. is the Old Testament of rock and roll mm -hmm. and the New Testament. Um, I don't read, <laughs> but in those days, you know, blah, blah, blah. The, the, the point is, is I was just, I felt, I felt connected on some metaphysical intimacy mm -hmm. with these guys. And when you guys were married, when you were together, who was well, she fucking? No, I'm well, just I mean, what, were, were you? Was was did your life continue in that rock and roll vein? Unfortunately, did you have an, op did you have an open marriage? I was not faithful. Mm -hmm. um, she was, uh -huh. and uh, it's absolutely nothing I I'm, I'm proud of. I I love monogamy. Mm -hmm. I, I think that's the only way. And you're in a relationship now. You're you've been. With oh yes, I've uh -huh. been with Britta for eight years, and I, we intend on marrying. Mm -hmm. um, and we just bought a house this week in Pasadena. Lovely. Congratulations! But thank you. But we. Um, uh, we were, you know, I was on, I was what, 20 something and mm -hmm. I'm on the road, mm -hmm. you know, eight months, nine months a year. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, what, you're going to put a 23 year old in Chicago, mm -hmm. um, you know, you get cold at night. Mm -hmm. And so what you guys were together, how long were you and Pamela together? We were together 14 years and, and married for seven. And so what, um, what, what, what was the demise of that relationship, that romantic relationship? You know, uh, Pamela really was my mother to mm. a great extent, mm. um, which means I've broken a lot of laws. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> but, but, the, but the issue was I grew up when I got sober. Mm -hmm. I changed very much because I wasn't so egoic and I, I wasn't about Michael. Mm -hmm. um, I, I started to understand that true happiness is service and humility you know, and, and great wardrobe. <laughs> um, but, you know, I, I grew up. Mm -hmm. And I didn't need a mother. Mm -hmm. And uh, we had reached that. You know, mm -hmm. when you're in a relationship and it becomes that. Mm -hmm. It changes the yes. heat and the passion and the lust. Mm -hmm. and, and if you're going to stay together, you've got to deal with that shit mm -hmm. and uh, work it out mm -hmm. and, and, and talk to one another. Mm -hmm. and, con and, and we did. And um, it, it became very clear that um, we should maybe go our separate ways. And she, how was that? Did you do it She gracefully? drove me to the, my apartment. Wow. I didn't drive at the time. Mm -hmm. I, I didn't learn to drive till I was 40 mm -hmm. because there was always somebody going my way, as they say. <laughs> you know? so, and, then I, and then my kid came with, um, I'm really making you weep here. Yeah, yeah. Miss yeah. um, Pamela and my son came to the apartment in the first day. And so he could see that. Mm -hmm. He was 12. And um, my son is a whole other story. But we... We've been very good to each other. That first year, we didn't see one another that mm -hmm. first year. And she was having a torrid affair with a very major movie star. Mm -hmm. And I was jealous as all, as you could possibly. I mean, the very feelings I didn't feel when I read the journals uh -huh. under the bed were the feelings that I had when, I, when we split up. Wow. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's all been so interesting. It's all been so... And to go over it with you, who's so smart, so connected, 
it's very, I mean, I very rarely sentimentalize mm. or go back because it's too much. Mm -hmm. It's too much to assimilate. Uh, you know, the record deals, the performances, the drugs, the, you know, all of the incredible people I've uh, been so lucky to hang out with, man. You know. Unbelievable. Don. The Johnson? cast of characters. Don Johnson. You it's know. interesting that you would pick him. Well, he so is tell the me most why. fascinating guy. How so? Because I don't value any men. I have very little trust for men. I am, I am basically a lesbian. Essentially, we were just talking about that before the show. Well, the thing is, and I, I men who I, want to be well, I'm not, I'm not being cute about it. Mm -hmm. I'm saying that because of the father thing, mm -hmm. shouldn't be drinking that. I know that's poison. I know I'm drinking a diet coke. Um, the, the the facts are that uh, I've never had a, a a guy in my life who I respected enough. Yeah, there's, there's been a few, and and funny enough, well, what about like the rock? What about like Jeff Beck and 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 oh, I, Mick? I, they're, and they're musicians. They're not friends. Okay. You know, they're people mm -hmm. one has worked with. Okay. I'm talking about a guy who can call up and go, you know what, man? I can't sleep. Why not, Mike? <laughs> um, well, you know, I ran out of Xanax, buddy. Mm -hmm. I'm kidding. Um, you know, I, the truth, the real mm -hmm. stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, what do I do? You know, And being that humble and being that vulnerable, I've never been able to do because my father was such a shithead. And mm -hmm. God bless him. You know, I mean, uh, it was so difficult for me because my experiences in these schools with these men were awful. I mean, I was mm -hmm. abused, you know, quite severely. Mm -hmm. And and people say, well, why aren't you traumatized by that? Mm -hmm. Why didn't you talk about that more? Why didn't you have a shrink? And I go, because I own that motherfucker. Mm -hmm. I mean, the things that happened to me in that school were indescribable, but I will describe the feeling that I got mm -hmm. when I saw them the next day. Mm -hmm. They knew. Mm -hmm. If I had actually talked to the authorities, they would be fired. Mm -hmm. So I had power. Mm -hmm. So I learned what women learn. How did you use it? It's very interesting when you hold a secret mm -hmm. over someone. Mm -hmm. It gives you more power than you can imagine. Now, I'm 12. Mm -hmm. So um, it gave me a sense of owning somebody and I in those days was particularly um, strange because I had no family relationships mm -hmm. so what I think made me into what I am this guy who has I you know I remember once in Sweden there was an elevator and it didn't have a front you it just was a box mm -hmm. with no door mm -hmm. and I I was standing right in front of it. It was four in the morning. There was nobody there. I was wearing like a silver lame jumpsuit probably. <laughs> and what I did was I waited for the elevator to half close. Mm -hmm. And then I jumped into the elevator. If I'd missed or I didn't time it right, I'd been cut in half. And I think it's that guy was a result of having to deal with these monsters. Mm. There was a, a fearlessness. What worse could happen to me than that? How could I feel more vulnerable and weak? But the next day, I realized the power had switched. Mm. It's a very difficult concept to talk about. It's interesting. You know, uh, I'll say. Uh, so, you ha so, so you grew up without trusting men. Right. And... Um, did you trust women it, 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 intimately? C could you have? Could you be vulnerable with women? Emotionally vulnerable. No, I started to become a human when I met Pamela. 
Mm. And, that, and that that really up until then I felt like a god or an mm. alien, mm. Or, albeit like broke, you know, mm. like Sylvia would not the Who, mm -hmm. and uh, you know I went through a lot of just um, stopping people so I could stay in their house, you know mm -hmm. that that rock star mm -hmm. uh, after Silverhead and mm -hmm. incomprehensible because I thought I was in the biggest band in the world mm -hmm. and that we were not, mm -hmm. so that moment was like I was ripe for uh, a come to Jesus moment, mm -hmm. although it was come to Elvis in this particular <laughs> case. And and Miss Pamela taught me that, about what humanity was. Did you get sober when you were with Pamela? Yeah. And so... The irony is that that's when we split up. Really? Yep. Can you articulate for me what it's like for you to be a sober man... Uh, as opposed to uh, fucked, I, fu I was a fucked up addict. I mean, I, I was a marijuana addict. That was my drug of choice. Um, I didn't know anything about service. We were talking earlier in the show about I took a contrary action today because somebody got something that I would have normally coveted and been jealous and envious of, but because... You've worked I, on yourself. You that's didn't feel right. That, way. that, that yeah. I was a supportive human being and yeah. helped encourage and do things that I it, do not come naturally to me that I am teaching myself. Um, so, what is what is the difference? What is the difference in Michael Debar today? That what wh what are these? I have I have an enormous amount of compassion. Um, I really do. I, be, I have great empathy with people that are suffering. And I seem to have an ability to be able to see behind the facade mm -hmm. when you were saying earlier that you're insecure inside sometimes and, and you do your thing and you become Vicky Abelson. And we all do. Um, but I, I can see it. So therefore it doesn't annoy me. I feel for that. Mm -hmm. when, I, when I'm in a situation, especially the whole notion of small talk is an anathema to me. Mm -hmm. I don't go to any parties. Mm -hmm. I don't go to any theater openings, movie openings, anywhere where you have to be something. Mm. I remember, you know, one of my dearest friends, I think my, the guy that I rely on emotionally most is Gabriel Byrne, who I did a movie with 15 odd years ago mm. with Steve Martin called A Simple Twist of Fate mm -hmm. with Laura Linney. It was mm. her first movie. It was great. And um, he, he said, Michael, when you're on the red carpet, <laughs> it's either John Travolta or Justin Bieber <laughs> in front and behind you. <laughs> and what I suggest is, A, don't go to the fucking premieres. <laughs> they, they suck. It's ridiculous. It's a, it's, a, it's a meat parade of people in looking, you know, in borrowed clothes and jewelry, <laughs> fucking thieves taking money for the shoes they're wearing. I mean, he's really anarchistic. Mm -hmm. uh, he's Irish. He hates all of that shit. Mm -hmm. As you see, Gabriel mm -hmm. Byrne does movies he wants to do. Mm -hmm. He doesn't do, you know, some stupid Netflix mm -hmm. series about mm -hmm. some girl that's been crucified by the <laughs> devil, played by Jeremy Isaacs, and you know, and uh, Jesse. Chastain produced it because she thought it'd be a hit and it'll give her credibility after she's not an actress anymore, etc., etc., etc. Yawn, motherfuckers. So Gabriel said, You know, Michael, don't do it because you're putting yourself in a position and you're trying to be something. 
and she wants your pictures taken and they don't want to take a picture of you they want to take a picture of Justin fucking Bieber mm. so you know so therefore you're going to go into the movie you're going to be shaking while you're eating your popcorn <laughs> smiling at all the paparazzi so and spilling your popcorn because you're shaking because you're so fucking vulnerable mm. so I learned that that uh, you know don't put yourself in positions of torture, mm -hmm. which is what that is. I used to relish that shit, and I used to think, who cares who's beside or ahead of me? You know? But the, the fact is, I do care today. Mm -hmm. And I don't like being jealous of somebody that gets something that I wanted. So I don't think about that. I am grateful for whatever comes in, mm -hmm. you know, like this bracelet. I love this bracelet so much. And it's leather, and it, and it, and it, you know, I saw a bracelet on um, some rock star the other day. I can't name him, but I I started to I remember it set me back. I would compare the stupidest <laughs> fucking. Thing. I want that bracelet, <laughs> you know. I want to be in that band. I want to be sleeping with that. But you know, it's it was, uh, I want. I gotta have it. It would make me whole. It would make me feel like what I want to feel. Well, you know? this is what I'm asking you. This is exactly what I'm that's asking you. That's the difference. That, okay, that's what I'm asking you. So, so how did you come to embrace that? Did um, I well, bored the shit out of myself by being that guy? It was boring, mm -hmm. and and when you catch yourself doing it mm -hmm. um, every time, yes. it's time to drop the gig. Mm -hmm. You know, it's time to get, a, you know, your game in another field. Uh, you know, um, it's so predictable, mm -hmm. and that's why I bleed for Chris Cornell, mm -hmm. and I bleed for Michael Hutchins, mm -hmm. and etc. 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 This, in fact. The last two years have been incredibly metaphysical for me because of the deaths of my contemporaries. I mean, they've re you know, I'm 70 in January. Wow. Right? Do you believe him? So what happened was, you know, because I, I eat right and I exercise, mm -hmm. and I am the, uh, I want to, the old axiom is die young, leave a good-looking corpse. <laughs> my, uh, mine is, <laughs> I want to die old and leave a good-looking corpse. Nice. So, and that's, you know, wheatgrass and water and uh, no Diet Cokes, mm -hmm. you know. <laughs> I know, it's terrible. Oh, I, don't, I hate to proselytize. But w my point being is I don't want to be another footnote in rock and roll history. Mm -hmm. Not that Cornell will ever be that or any of those guys. Mm -hmm. They'll always be revered. Mm -hmm. But there's, what happens is there's a great sadness. When I play these artists on my radio program, mm -hmm. Little Stevens Underground Garage, Sirius XM Channel 21, <laughs> 9 p.m. to midnight, Monday through Friday uh, on the West Coast, 8 a.m. to 11 a.m. on the East Coast. Yeah, I was confused about that because on the wiki page it says you're on in the morning, and I'm like, wait a minute, I listen to him. He's not on in the morning. He's on at night. When I, I'm am driving. In, I am in the morning on, in L.A. from 5 a.m. to 8 a.m., oh. but I'm the morning DJ in New York. When all those beautiful people that write to me every day are driving their kids to school, school mm. dig this, you'll both love this. So I get a letter. And it's from a mom. And the mom is driving her kids back and forth mm -hmm. to, to school. That's what mothers do. And I'm very acutely aware of, of how people live. So the music that I play, mm -hmm. she loves. Mm -hmm. But her kids, having heard that music in another setting, hate the music. Because you're meant to. Yes. You're meant to hate the music your parents love. What I, This letter said, Michael, they love you. Aww. So they love the music. Aww. So they love me. Oh, God. <laughs> That's a road to take. That's a pretty good road to take. So so let's talk about this DJ thing for a minute. So uh, I seem to recall when you came to Women Who Write, you were just starting on this journey. You were starting, you, you did like a, a radio show. It, it wasn't 
Little Stevens Underground Garage, but you were you had just start you were just starting. David on this Lynch path. gave me a shot. David Lynch. How so? Um, he liked me. I did uh-huh. Mulholland Drive. Uh-huh. Um, and what a great... Yeah. I shot the pilot for ABC. It was a pilot. And the, the, the executives at ABC said, what the fuck is this about? And <laughs> we're not airing it. And Lynch went, okay, all right, so I'll go somewhere else. You know? so, they, so, so he made a movie out of it. Cut wow. me out. Cut me out. I'm still in the in the movie, but I had a great role in the in the TV show. Anyway, the point is, TM, very much into it, love mm-hmm. it, you know, whatever it takes. Um, and he said, he, you know, one of his people called me out and said, would you like to do a radio show? I said, yes. He said, what kind of radio show? I thought, um, Roots and Branches. Let's do that. Let's show and play the roots of, of rock and roll music and where that those iconic Muddy Waters, John mm-hmm. Lee Hooker, etc. Uh, where did it go? Yeah, let's do Roots and Branches. I thought of it right away. Wow. And I realized that I had an aptitude for mm-hmm. knowing what they'd want to hear and mm-hmm. how they'd want to hear it mm-hmm. and how people want to hear the music. And our shows on Little Steve's Underground Garage, and by the way, Handsome Dick Manitoba. I love him. Manfred, mm-hmm. you know, the, mm-hmm. little Stephen himself. Fantastic. You know, Palmyra mm-hmm. Del Ran, Kid Leo. You know, they're all really good. Mm-hmm. You know, they really know their shit. Yes, you know? they do. And and it's admirable. Mm-hmm. And I thought that's what people want. They want to hear the context of the song. Mm-hmm. They don't just want to hear, and now we're Justin Bieber. And it's all caffeinated. And suddenly we're talking about, you know, um, Snickers bars. So how much is decided for you and how much do you decide on your own? At, at Well, in the beginning, you know, we went through various playlists of what I love. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Stones, all of the things, Stooges, mm-hmm. MC5, Hard rock and roll and, mm-hmm. and the blues and mm-hmm. soul music R&B mm-hmm. and um, uh, the, but then Stephen sat me down and played me the Drifters the Coasters the Chiffons mm-hmm. the Shirelles the Marvelettes and mm-hmm. you know Junior Walker and the All Stars all you know music that I'd always loved like powerful raucous raw music mm-hmm. Marshall Stacks you know big loud Mm-hmm. But he taught me the subtleties of R&B, mm-hmm. and then I just fell in love with that. And now, and that playlist reflect that. Mm-hmm. So occasionally what I do every day, I choose an artist a week mm-hmm. that I use a quote from, like I'm doing Sonny Bono mm-hmm. this week, mm-hmm. which is so fascinating. Because I, I go through all of his quotes, and I find one Monday through Friday, mm-hmm. and I expand on it and expand mm-hmm. on it, and how I think he felt about it. And this is all sort of... he. The, the quote today was that um, he's never known an entertainer that wanted to be more uh, bigger and better and glorious and more outrageous than Cher. That's how he met her. That's wow. what he saw. Mm-hmm. And she was 18. Mm-hmm. And, and look what happened. Mm-hmm. It's a fascinating story. And mm-hmm. I tell it to the, and then I play, you know, Laugh at Me, mm-hmm. which was his first single, mm-hmm. solo single, mm-hmm. which was the first hit before Cher, well, you know, when they split up. Mm-hmm. And he wrote a song called Laugh At Me because he had those bangs, that fur vest, and he was such a counterculture hero, icon, but laughed at mm-hmm. by the by Blue Collar America. Mm-hmm. So what did he do? Address it. That's balls. Isn't it? Mm-hmm. And I, I make that point clear. Then, I, then when they listen to the song, they can really appreciate the fucking song. Yes, you do that all the time, which I, I, I one of the reasons why I enjoy so much li- listening to you. Mm. So, is, so is this satisfying for you at this point? Like, is this what you want to be doing? Mm-hmm. Do you not need to do anything else, or you still want to do other things? I have some music coming out that's the best music I've ever done, I think. Nice. Yeah. Clem on drums and... 
And, and Glenn Burke from Blondie, mm-hmm. brilliant. We were in mm-hmm. Checkered Pass together with Steve Jones, mm-hmm. Tony Sesson, Tim Machine, and Nigel Harrison from Blondie. Incredible band. Lousy record. Great live. <laughs> um, so uh, I, um, I want to do a lot of things. I have a lot of projects mm-hmm. I have um, that I can't even talk about. A couple of movies, writing. I was just going to ask you if you write. Yeah. And there's uh, another um, project that I'm working on that that is... Uh, going to really blow people's minds it's very entertaining it's very cool it's a lot of heavy high tech people virtual reality uh artificial reality your son's involved my son is a uh right now he's translating um a video game from the japanese into the english because he speaks japanese and wow but he's going into a game development he's Mm -hmm. starting a new company in san francisco to develop games rather than uh, you know, he does voice direction and casts voices and, uh, you know, does translations of these games. And it's not just the words, man, mm-hmm. you know. If you've got a Japanese video game, you're trying to translate it for American audience. Mm-hmm. It's mythology. Japanese mm-hmm. mythology is very different from American myth- mm-hmm. mythology. Mickey Mantle is Godzilla, you know, it's a, right? So you have to work it and massage it. And the language itself is so complex. Mm-hmm. Very smart guy, also very... A passionate guy has been through a lot of problems, a lot of uh, um, you know difficult situations. Living in Japan for ten years mm. and, and that culture is, you know, it's difficult mm-hmm. for a gaijin, for a white person. Mm-hmm. It's hard. Mm. It's uh, they have many rituals that perhaps do not come naturally. Mm. I have one last question for you, Michael. Um, is there anything that you listen to, eat? covet enjoy that is kind of a guilty pleasure for you pinkberry Ooh, see now only someone who looks like michael would say pinkberry is a guilty he pleasure so quickly <laughs> he too. did it's um medium original <laughs> with shaved almonds and strawberries sometimes blueberries this man knows himself he, he does know himself, and you you did that you said answered that without hesitation i did not give you the question in advance this was something you just jumped to and i can think of no one else that would feel guilty about eating frozen yogurt um that's a pretty healthy guilty pleasure right there yes um i don't know why i know what i want hmm. I don't know how to get it, you know. Um, and I love Pinkberry. It's almost like, because what happens, Vicky, and you'll understand this, whenever I do a show, I am exhausted. Mm-hmm. I put so much into these shows. They're three hours, and I, I talk free associatively, mm-hmm. like you've done with no notes, mm-hmm. which has never happened before. Um, they've you. always got Wikipedia. And then um, <laughs> Mick Jagger fucked your wife. <laughs> you know. Uh, yes, Leslie. Um, it was traumatic, but I got through it with a good doctor and some Xanax. I just did two or three a day. I mean, it wasn't a habit. Uh, I've got to go now, Leslie. Fuck off. Uh, I met Steve Jones recently. You, you sound just like him Well, just we, now. we imitate each other <laughs> yeah. constantly. In fact, we bought this house. One of the first people I sent the picture of the house mm-hmm. to was Steve, because mm-hmm. I love him. Yeah. I mean, he is... So singular and such a unique man and so brilliant. You know what? Is he it? is like the beyond humble. No, Dick humble is. is like crazy. He's humble, but he knows who he is. Mm. And he's this fucking sex pistol. So yes, what, what, he what he's got, though, yeah, this is great. We'll, maybe we can leave it with this. Okay. Because the whole thing about intelligent, intellectual capabilities, mm-hmm. what the fuck does that mean? What is a genius? What is that? What is that? I describe that as uh, capable of unique thought. Unique thought. It's not about a brilliant, you know, Brian Wilson 
or something, or Mozart, or Einstein. Intelligence is a, is, is a human thing. It's not, it's not academia. Mm-hmm. It's behavioral. Mm-hmm. So if you understand, he's got a bullshit detector. Mm-hmm. If Einstein was a sex pistol, <laughs> E would not equal MC squared. <laughs> That's perfect. So Steve Jones, one of the most intellectual and intelligent men I ever met, and he couldn't read or write till he lived with me and Miss Pamela. Wow. Well, when I saw him, he was speaking, and he he said, "Oh yeah, I was in this little rock and roll band." I mean, you know, he just but completely that's all, threw it. That, but that you know, Vicky. yeah. But but I mean, and I know who he. I knew who he was, but you know what? Most people in the room didn't. No, and nobody knows who the Beatles are. It, it's well, that's it, scary beyond yeah, belief. No, they say they don't even know who Wings are. Never mind the fucking Beatles. I mean, it, but we live in a cocoon, you and I, mm. and there we are in this sacred electric church, mm-hmm. and it has its ministers, and mm. it has its choir, and it has its congre motherfucking gation. <laughs> and, Amen. And those people, I love, and I love you, <laughs> and thank you so much, Angel. It's so good to see you again. Good to see you, Michael. Peace, love, and compassion. Be good to your friends, family, and community. That's all that matters with this beast in the White House. <sighs> Amen. Thank you, Michael DeBar. Oh, gosh. What a, uh, thank you. Louise? Yes, I have, Vicky. I have to tell you, for me, that was church. Amen. That was, that was worship. I, you know, it's interesting how we sort of rode a wave there because when we first started, um, he reminded me of an early guest of ours who was a contrarian. And oh. everything that I said, he said, yeah, Vic, but, and every every question I asked at the beginning of that, uh, of that other interview, uh, throughout that interview, was a yeah, but, which our brilliant sound editor, Justin Levins, took out all the yeah, buts, and it sounded like a very amiable interview in the end. But this, when we first started, mm-hmm. I felt Michael challenging me. And I felt a little uncomfortable and intimidated by him. And the way that turned around, I, I mean, he genuinely, I'm, I'm thinking about it now and I'm crying again. I have tears in my eyes. Well, it didn't turn itself around. You both steered it. it that was like jazz because you had to get used to each other's instrument mm. and then once you did you were playing together there you go and and th- and i think that's what it was is that that's exactly what it was louise that's very astute he didn't know me i didn't know him we were we weren't in tune yet but you were listening but we but we were both listening he was also a good listener yes. you know there are times when we do these and i can tell the uh, on the uh, even though that the show will be successful and that will get a lot done and they'll be entertaining. I don't always feel as so listened to. I really felt listened to. And also it makes such a difference eyeball to eyeball. Mm -hmm. Oh my God. The difference between doing it on the phone and, and going eyeball to eyeball. He never broke gaze except when he would come to, to, to talk to you. Mm -hmm. And that's very powerful. And, and I think part of what transitioned there for us was because we made a human we did exactly what he was talking about mm-hmm. that success is not about the song the record the the concert it's about that human 
connection. And perhaps he's so brilliant at it because he didn't have it, because he was deprived it. Um, I am in awe of the fact that he can be the man he is having been deprived of basic, you know, they say people that aren't touched, that aren't kissed, that aren't hugged, um, that are deprived of love, um, most of them are very dysfunctional. Well, he's been blessed with a thrive instinct Mm. and he has sought out uh, magnetic north. Like he, Mm. he'll keep heading towards what is true and what is right. Even that moment when he described how if he would see the the professor mm-hmm. who had abused him mm-hmm. that he felt powerful mm-hmm. he could have felt crushed he could have felt yes shame, but he turned it in his favor to yes. something that would work for him yes and that's what he's been doing his entire life there it is there's the takeaway he always found the lesson the power momentum always always positive momentum. Mo- yeah always positive always moving forward I didn't hear, you know, I, I, the, the only iota of humanity that he showed was when he was talking about the bracelet, right? And coveting Aww. somebody else's bracelet mm-hmm. or somebody else's band at a time. Yeah. But he's obviously evolved from that. And, but, but I think organically, even as a child, as you were saying, you know, he realized the, the positive power of having that power and that propelled him forward and allowed him to get through being abused you know all of that stuff and the the power of positivity he is he's extraordinary and you know he's also such a contradiction because he's so deep and he's so he's absolutely brilliant oh he's brilliant he's brilliant (laughs) and and so educated and sophisticated and worldly and and at the same time um God, now I lost my train of well, thought. Well, he does smell like vanilla, so oh, that's oh, distracting. There, okay, but that's I did get to, and I'm smelling him all over because me. It's, it's so lovely. glorious. It's glorious. Um, he said it's an, a vanilla oil, and we could get it from Mr. Bezos. So, <laughs> so I'll have to With look. One click. I'll have to look into it. But the but the thing is that I love about him. This is the, the dichotomy for me with Michael Debar. Michael Debar is that he. Um, superficiality is not beneath him you know he's very appearance being skinny being thin being perfect looking one's best very important to him so yes it it's it's very interesting he's human he's, he's human yeah but he's a really good human he's really good he's a fascinating <laughs> human and he's also a very gracious and generous human i mean to go through that whole thing at the end to be so gracious with with us and to be hilarious Hila- he was hilarious yeah. he was hilarious and and also i can't remember too many conversations we've had where i've laughed and cried i've i, cr- I cried like with paula she made me cry because i was laughing so hard but this was a different kind of crying this was genuinely being moved to tears by emotion um, and I've done that on here too. Uh, it's rare to do both. Um, I, I feel like I, I feel almost euphoric. It was, a, it was a very full experience. It was, it was, uh, thrilling. And so 
Yeah. Um, thank you so much, Louise, for, for taking this journey with me. Michael, was, I, I know that was what the thing was that he said that kind of, he kind of invalidated the whole basis of the show being about how to merge creativity with commerce and the road taken. And he, he, that, he sort of invalidated that at the beginning. And it was like, wait a minute, this is the whole thing that we're doing. What do you mean? You can't just. Well, he needed you to hear where, where, what, what his approach to it all was. Yes. And you did. You listened. And I did. And and I think, uh, and I, I trust that he appreciated what we do. Oh, yes. yes. Absolutely. Yes, he made that very clear, and that was he really sure lovely. So, so here we are, and it's The Road Taken, and um, a radio-free podcast here whenever you are. We are about to go live on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. East, uh, Pacific Time. And we will be able to be seen on the Facebook Live on my personal page, V-I-C-K-I-A-B-E-L-S-O-N, Vicki Abelson. And we'll be live on Zina TV. And we'll be live on, what is that called, live stream? And, um, and then all of it will all be archived. And you'll be able to still listen to us on iTunes and SoundCloud and the next day. So instead of on Tuesdays, the, the audio files will be available on Thursdays probably, maybe Friday, but hopefully Thursdays. But you'll be able to watch us live on Wednesday. And then the archived video will be available forever and ever. So um, anyway, thank you so much for taking this journey with us, and um, I look forward to next time. Thanks so much.